Hey everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, coming at you with uh, the uh, last episode of the of the year 2015. Uh, yes, it uh, it's been a long year. It's been a weird year for me, personally, professionally, all kinds of things, things you don't really care about. But uh, it's uh, it's good to to have this podcast that I can you know talk about the things that I love with people I admire and appreciate and whatnot, and um, this episode is no different. I, I also apologize if you can hear, uh, if there's like some weird sound problems, one thing might be my heater because it's freezing, or my neighbor's upstairs, my neighbor's upstairs because they are moving shit around, so I don't know, it's a vortex of suck um, <laughs> currently as I'm recording this. Um, but what doesn't suck is superhero television, uh, for the most part. We'll definitely get into that. It is, uh, this episode is uh, a long episode, but totally worth it because it is myself and my friend Nathan, who you'll remember from the, uh, his most recent, uh, occurrence or appearance, however you want to call it, on this episode was when we talked about Mystery Men. Uh, Nathan came back and we decided we wanted to talk about, uh, this, this year or kind of all, uh, up to this point of superhero television, uh, uh, we talk about Gotham, uh, it was it Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then uh, Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl. We were going to talk about Jessica Jones to a degree, but again, it went over long, and so I felt like uh, almost three hours is about the, uh, the tipping point there for people. But it's a packed episode, it'll get you through the new year, and in 2016 we'll, we'll start afresh with, uh, I believe the next one will be Star Wars Force Awakens, uh, with some familiar faces as well, or familiar voices. So sit back, relax, and uh, keep some time uh, open to listen to myself and Nathan talk all about superhero television. bestie. <laughs> it's like, finally, we can talk about television. That's right. 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 Uh, I, I just, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I just want to let you know, in case you haven't seen on my wall, I have not seen Star Wars yet. So. Oh, I wasn't, I was just going to, I was going to ask me like, have you seen it? If not, I won't spoil anything for you, <laughs> other than to say that it's good. I That's like good. It. Yes. Do, do, do you have a, uh, a like a ranking for it, or do you? Is that not? Uh... Uh, yeah, no. I mean, it it's probably right behind. And I mean, see, it, of course, it, it it sleeps and bounds above the prequels. Um, but I think all they had to do was put effort into it to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's yeah, it's because uh, Empire is my favorite. Then a New Hope. And I think this one comes right after it, so... Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. I, th- I think it's it's a serviceable first movie in a three-movie arc, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. that's all... Well, I- if, it's, if it's up in the quality level of the original trilogy, even if it's towards the bottom of that quality level, that's still really good. <laughs> I know, right? It's like... Yeah. It's like, our, our standards right now for Star Wars movies are kind of low, <laughs> so... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm actually working on an article now that's about like like seven lessons we should have learned from the prequels. Um, and, and most of, as as I was writing it, I was just kind of like I I wanted it to be like lessons we have learned. But then as I was, as I was going through each category, is like we really haven't haven't come that far since then. So. <laughs> And even The Force Awakens falls into some of these categories, too, so it's it's a little uh, interesting and yet kind of disheartening at times, too. Like, God damn it, Hollywood. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about Star Wars Force Awakens. We are here to talk about some superhero television shows, correct, Nathan? That's right. Yes. Uh, again, welcome back, Nathan, to the podcast, uh, becoming my most recurring uh, guest, basically. <laughs> Well, that's why I'm the best here. There we go, exactly. <laughs> we're just so on point with these television shows and movies and whatnot. So. Um, but we're, we, uh, was it uh, Supergirl finished up its uh, mid-season-ish? I mean, how many episodes did it have? Eight. Eight? Okay, but they got a new order, so it's it's a kind of a weird mid-season because it started a bit later. But anyway, we got their fall-winter finale kind of thing. And so now we can talk about all the superhero shows uh, of this year as of their fall finales, which will include, oh, let's see, spoilers for Gotham, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl. Am I missing anything? Nope, those are the five. Okie doke. Unless you've seen any of Jessica Jones, we could talk a little bit about that, but... Oh, yeah, I've seen the first three episodes of Jessica Jones. I I was basically waiting for all the other shows to go off the air to watch Jessica, because Mm -hmm. as it is, it's hard for me to keep up with everything that's on. Oh, totally. Yeah, uh, so we we can maybe touch on it a little bit, but I'm planning on doing an episode with my friend Tiff all about it, so uh, we don't have to be beholden to that. (laughs) So... Um, how about we start with the two shows that I'm really not watching all that much anymore, and you might have some more insight than I do, which are Gotham and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I'm unfortunately kind of fell off the wagon with, uh, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, Nathan... about Gotham. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how about, which one would you like to start with, Nathan? Oh, let's start at the bottom and go with Gotham. Okay, so... I stopped watching Gotham last year, three episodes before the end of the first season, but I've been keeping up with, like, um, synopsis uh, reviews and everything, so I know it's just getting batshittier, you know? Uh, So, Nathan, what's been going on in Gotham right now? Well, here's the thing. At the end of the last season, I was like... Man, Gotham is so awful. I'm like, I'm gonna watch the first few episodes of the second season, and if it's still this bad, I'm just gone. Mm-hmm. But you know, the second season, I think they've just kind of figured out. I know that a lot of the things that they're doing, they're still introducing Batman villains left and right and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it seems like they've gotten a better handle on the story that they want to tell, mm-hmm. and they're less worried about being more comic booky and you know i think the success of the flash uh, really owes to that that mm-hmm. they're seeing that the flash can go kind of all out with the superhero stuff and they're like well you know maybe we can you know you know ratchet up the reality you know level of this show because the first season tried very much to ground it in a this is kind of a possible you know type thing mm-hmm. but then um, it, it just started like it, in the first season it clearly didn't know what it wanted to do like, yes. it was trying to be both, like, as close to maybe a Nolan-esque, you know, thing as they could get, but Arrow already kind of covered that one. Um, and then it was just like, okay, and then we'll put in these really 
out of nowhere elements and characters will just do things at random because they're not the penguin. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair, the whole like sub arc with Dollmaker Island just pissed me off you know, <laughs> because it was really, I mean, it was like a plot cul-de-sac mm-hmm. because it was just like, this is a way to sideline fish for the rest of the season. Cause we know she's going to leave because it had nothing to do with what else was going on. Yeah. You know, let's introduce Jeffrey Combs just to get rid of him. Oh my God. That was like the most criminal use of Jeffrey Combs ever. It's like, you have gold here. You have the guy who played the question in the Justice League cartoon and you barely use him and then kill him. It's like, what is the point? Like, you don't do that. Yeah, it was it was just painful towards the end there, mm-hmm. and then you know after the first half of that season had had set up the penguin so well as this master manipulator, mm-hmm. and for the second half of the season for them not to even really pay attention to that other than coming back to it every once in a while, and then at the end he becomes like the head of the crime in Gotham not because of his machinations and schemes but because of this comedy of errors that occurs where. <laughs> everyone's plans sort of fall apart and he's just the one that ends up standing at the end, you know, after everyone else kills each other. Yeah, he's like, um, he's like and, a scavenger, basically. Right, and I'm like, well, gee, you know, I had been really looking forward to seeing Penguin triumphant through his own, uh, you know, cleverness, mm-hmm. you know, and instead it was like, no, his plan completely failed, yeah. and it's only because everyone else's plans failed more that <laughs> he ended up being on top. And, yeah, and, and that's the thing, like, because with a lot of the DC shows, it's it's tough sometimes because I'm much more of a DC person than I am Marvel, so I know these characters a lot more. Like, I, I like Oswald po- uh, Cobblepot in the comics because he's such, you know, a master manipulator in terms of the mob and uh, and, and whatnot. Like, uh, the Catwoman comic uh, under GL, Val- uh, uh, GL Valentine... Uh, sorry, Genevieve Valentine, she, she made the underworld of the mob with, like, Penguin and Catwoman and even Killer Croc in there a couple of times, like, work. And, like, that's the stuff you want to see, where the proto-villains, even though Gotham is just basically making them full-blossomed bat-villains before Batman is even a thing. Uh, the, the problem with that is they're ratcheting it, up, ratcheting it up so much that they have nowhere to go but down at this point. Well, I don't know. I see because the reason the second season is working for me is that they're they they're having a good through line, mm-hmm. and this character of Galavan that they've brought in, who has been the villain, has you know, and watching him be that master manipulator. And watching him like try to put his pieces in place and, and get what he wants done has been very compelling to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much better than how they did Penguin last year. Um, I mean, there are a few things. They still do these things that are just kind of bizarre. Uh-huh. Like whenever he's trying to do something um, where it's kind of like a stage scene to make him look good. Mm-hmm. His acting is always really atrocious, and I'm always like, you know, so they're kind of like portraying him as a bad actor when he has to act. But at the same time, nobody ever is like, why are you acting weird? You know, and it's like, yeah. like they, they should, people should be noticing <laughs> that he just seems weird right now. Like, but. Bad acting isn't hard to find. I mean, that that's the thing. Like, even when you look at, like, politicians in real life, I mean, when they're putting shit on, like, you you know, because we're kind of, we're almost like trained in that with that bullshit barometer. Like, in some weird way, I think a lot of people just inherently have that. 
So it's it, that is kind of odd. Like when you have a guy who's perp, like an actor playing a guy who has to pretend to who is trying to act and doing it poorly <laughs> within a show like, especially in a place like Gotham where everyone is kind of just acting weird. Yeah. No, you know, no questions asked half the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things that I really like that they did this season is they set up this character of Jerome in season one. Everyone's like, oh, he's the Joker, because mm-hmm. he, he did this whole Nicholson-esque, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, laugh and everything. It was not like, subtle by any means. And, right, and everybody, and, you know, and people like me were like, oh, rolling our eyes, because, like, you know, first, A, another Batman villain who shouldn't be around yet, and B, you know, the Joker should be this sort of mysterious, you know, character. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be like, oh, yeah, this is who he was. He grew up in a circus. You know, and it was even worse. It was the Grace, the circus, same circus that the Graysons were in. Yeah, the Haley Circus. And, <laughs> you're right. And I was always, you know, I, I always hate that when shows or movies, when they do an adaptation, draw all these connections between characters and make it more incestuous. Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like the prequels. I mean, it's just dropping them in for the sake of dropping them in without them having any, like, real narrative function. Right. And um, it was, oh god, it was like the Spider-Man 90s cartoon where it was like all of a sudden Peter knew all his villains like as Peter Parker as well. And yeah. I was like, why? <laughs> this should be Norman Osborn only. <laughs> he doesn't need to have, oh yeah, Doc Ock, you know, Dr. Octavius used to be in like my science camp when I was five. What the heck? <laughs> At, he didn't need that relationship with Doc Ock. I know. At minimum, he just knows Harry and Norman, possibly Dr. Connors, if you wanted to kind oh, of set right. that yes, up. You're, you're right, but he actually met Dr. Well in the comics. He actually met him after he became the True. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, so, uh, so, so, so yeah, I, I didn't like that at all. And then this season, it was like, Nope, they killed him. Yeah. They killed him stone cold dead. And I was like, yeah, because that's what I, you know, I like that, that they pulled the wool over everyone's eyes with the Jerome situation. Mm-hmm. I was like, they, uh, you know, because they'd been saying in the beginning, like, oh, we're going to have a lot of potential jokers. And when they introduced Jerome, I was like, did they just forget about that? Because this is so <laughs> obviously like, hey, look at me, I'm the joker. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, no, they killed him off. And then what they showed was that because when he died, it was like during like a television Oh yeah, yeah. He uh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was televised, and th- what they showed is they showed a lot of different people looking at the television, watching him laugh mm-hmm. and laughing along with him in that same sort of crazy Joker way. So they showed like uh, like a criminal like on the streets, like watching you know through a window, mm-hmm. you know, watching, and he starts laughing. They showed like a little kid sitting at home, you know, laughing along with it, and they showed. Um, they showed like a like a guy like uh, you know like sitting in a living room um, you know laughing along with it and they they showed several different scenes so it's like oh all, what they're showing is like Jerome had inspired whoever becomes mm-hmm. you know the, the Joker someday well, and yeah, they pulled but. that last season with the Red Hood gang they they try to be like oh because you know for comic book people who know the origins of the Joker you know the Red Hood gang is also a part of his. Uh, backstory, depending on which part of the canon you want to really go with, um, and so they did that. This, they did the same thing with everyone picking up the mask, and it's like, oh, it, it, it like somehow it makes me like braver and more willing to put myself in dangerous situations, kind of things. Um, and so, I don't know. Like, I have, I always have a problem when people try to tell some kind of a Joker origin story, um, or even imply that this is how the Joker came to be, because it's like. I don't want to know those things. I don't... But this is just my hang-up. I mean, some people are, like, perfectly okay with that. It's it's more like the Joker should never have an origin story. Like, he just is. 
it's like Gotham created the Joker, you know, something like that. So, I, I mean, how how effective was it for you to, to see those, like, potential Jokers, basically? Well, I like the fact that it was just sort of like, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And as long as they always keep it that way, of just there's this sort of idea, and, you know, I mean, there's this sort of thing in Gotham where sometimes people just act crazy, you know, people are crazy in Gotham, and Gotham is more crazy than other places. They bring that up in the show all the time. Yeah. And for some reason, there's all this weirdness in <laughs> Gotham, you know, and, uh, you know, I thought it worked okay because they still left it as we don't know who he is and how he becomes the Joker. There was just this guy who was somewhat vaguely Joker-esque, but he tried too hard, too. Yeah. So I'm glad they killed him off because I didn't want that to be the Joker. <laughs> well, and and one of the one of the biggest things that came out of season one as well was Barbara Gordon uh, or Barbara Keene, as we because uh, she ain't married to Gordon yet, even though she would supposedly be the mother of Barbara and James Jr. If they went that route. <laughs> well, I don't think they're gonna go. I don't think that's gonna happen here. What I'm suspecting. Mm-hmm. Because they've developed. Okay, well, first of all, in season one, it really bothered me when Jim started dating Leslie Tompkins. Yeah, because it's like it's so weird. It's, it's like if your aunt and uncle from two different families, like your mom's side, your dad's side, started dating. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. Because it's like I know Jim Gordon, you know, mm-hmm. and I know Leslie, and it's like. For them to date, it's just this weird, like, sort of incest kind of thing going. I mean, I know they're not really related, but in my mind, they are. They're part of the Bat family. Yeah, <laughs> and like, it's, it's, yeah, because at least in the comics and the cartoons and stuff, you, you, there's a hint at, like, that at the very least, Leslie and Gordon know each other. Or through their shared experiences having to deal with Batman and or Bruce Wayne, they just kind of knew each other in passing, you know, never the sense of like, oh yeah, they were really close friends. And here it's like, no, they full-blown have a romantic relationship and she's pregnant. <laughs> right, well, yeah, and that's because well, she's pregnant in real life. So yeah, Marina Vaccarin, the, the actress who is, I guess, dating Ben Mackenzie? Yes. Yes, yeah. yes, they are also, yes, in real life. So, um, <laughs> this okay. is just ten so, levels of incest here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the whole thing with Barbara, um, I hate Barbara. Um, yeah. They've, by letting her go full-blown crazy, I think it has improved upon her from her emo self in season one, mm-hmm. but I still don't like her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is definitely more watchable. Um because she was just, like, the worst last season. Like, just yes. every oh, time God. she was on screen, it was just, like, this is just a, a, a plot of suck right now. Yes. yes. Oh, God. I mean, it's still, I still wish, because there was a scene this season where she falls out of a window. Mm-hmm. And I was real, ho- really hoping we were finally rid of her. But nope. Nope. The ambulance, yeah, right after the commercial, the ambulance is there, wheeling her in, she's alive, just badly <laughs> injured. So. I'm only very minorly burned. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm imagining the uh, the Monty Python scene with the roll out, you're dead, I'm not dead yet! Exactly. Like, just her over the head, you know, still like, get her there. Like, right, see you next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so yeah, Leslie's pregnant now, So because the right. actress is. I have this horrible feeling that the plot is going to revolve around Barbara trying to get Leslie's child mm. for her son. As we both know, Gotham, uh, Gotham's one of Gotham's main failings, which has not changed, is that it fails the Bechdel test 11 ways from Sunday. Oh, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> all that the women in the show are for are to, 
you know, be, be they're, 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 they're there to worry about or develop the men. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, that, that is one thing, but last season I was just like, when, when the, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it came to a point last season where the whole season, like, ended on Barbara and Leslie having a cat fight. Mm-hmm. Um, over Jim. Yeah. And it was just painful um, to watch. And then that part hasn't gotten much better. Um, and, and is, like, Jim really worth it at this point? Because... Well, and that's... The, oh, yeah, see, yeah, this is the other problem that I'm having. Jim, the whole point of Jim, as established in the first season, was that Jim is the guy who never crosses the line. Mm-hmm. And this whole season has been about Jim crossing the line. <laughs> Repeatedly. And I'm like, uh, what? You know, I mean, like, this is what, you know, you, you, the show was saying, like, this is why we need Jim Gordon is because he's the guy that won't cross the line. Yeah, he's the guy he's, with the uncompromised uh, morals. Right. And this, this, uh, yeah, this season, this, they've several times flirted with Jim crossing that line. Now, I think they brought in, um, Oh, crap, why can't I remember his name? The guy who was on The Shield and played the thing in the Fantastic Four. Oh, Michael Chiklis. Yeah, Michael Chiklis. They brought in Michael Chiklis. I think what's going to happen eventually is Michael Chiklis. Now Michael Chiklis is that guy Mm -hmm. that never crosses the line. And he's now the captain of the police, and that's helping Jim clean up Gotham. Uh, you know, uh, which that had been the problem before is the corruption was just so bad that, you know, they could never do anything about all these entrenched problems. I think that character is going to die. Mm -hmm. And then that's going to set Jim back on his righteous path or something. Yeah. Uh, Or put him like, make him captain of the police or something like that. Right. Exactly. So, um, I, I'm, yeah, but yeah, that's the other thing I'm not happy with. But the weird thing. I hated Bruce last season. I thought there's no need for Bruce. Certainly not to this degree. They were developing Tim too quickly. I didn't like the fact that, like, Selena was there so much. Mm -hmm. And that they made it seem like, okay, he already wanted to get tougher because of what had happened to his parents. But then Selena's teaching him all these things and it almost made it seem like, oh, because he wants to impress this girl, this is why he learns the techniques he'll later need as Batman. Of course. I mean, that's, you know, that's what I'm it's like, all about, oh, getting girls. <laughs> what about, what's such a tawdry, horrible reason for him to, like, learn how to throw well and to, yeah. <laughs> you know, develop the whole Bat persona to make him scary? Because you're like, oh, you need to be scarier. Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, like, yeah. uh, but... This season, for some reason, the Bruce plot mm-hmm. has gotten way better. Really? Uh, yeah, th- I, I am happy with Bruce now. I, I always loved Alfred. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Pertwee uh, is amazing. Yeah, um, he really is. Like probably the best version of Alfred so far. Uh, yeah, because I mean the whole um, you know, the whole he's the father, but also the employee thing. Mm-hmm. They've and, and and the amount that he loves Bruce. Yeah. Whereas Bruce sees him as, you know, even though he's a confidant and someone like Bruce is never like, like, you know, treating him like the dad because in Bruce's mind, his dad is this great, amazing figure. Mm-hmm. But, just, you know, but the way that Alfred cares about Bruce, but the way that he shows it is this lovely, tough love mm-hmm. that I just, oh, it's so great. But anyway, um, that part has worked out a lot better. They, even after the, after teasing the Batcave in the first season, which was horrible, mm-hmm. and they did have to do something with this season, they've kind of forgotten about it and, and pushed it off to the side. Which oh, was as, as good as they could do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Look at the system of caves it. my father found for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
so um, you know, so so. Uh, uh, but this whole thing has been revolving around Bruce being manipulated by this guy Gallivan, mm-hmm. whose family has this history with the Waynes that he basically wants everything that Bruce has. Okay. And he's trying to trick Bruce into giving him his company, and he's holding over. You know, basically it comes to a head where he basically offers Bruce the name of his father's killer, or his parents' killer, mm-hmm. in uh, exchange for um, the company. Really? Yeah. Okay. And Bruce almost goes for it. Mm-hmm. And finally decides, no, I'm not going to do this. Well, that's when Gallivan shows his true colors and is like, you know, I'm going to make you do this. And that's when Jim comes in. That's when they finally get the stuff on Gallivan to get Gallivan. So they kind of ruin the, you know, they ruin what Gallivan was planning. Um, and doesn't he have like he's got like Silver Saint Cloud as like his foster daughter or something like that? Or yeah, she is his ward. <laughs> like so. <laughs> I, I actually really like the character of Silver St. Cloud in the movies and everything. Not in the movies, but in the comics. Uh, because in the comics, like, she's the first, like, girlfriend of Bruce Wayne to figure it all out on her own. And then she actually, like, leaves him because she's like, there. there's just no way I can compete with this. Like, they try to make it work, but she ultimately is the one that ends it because she's like, this is never going to be Okay. You know, like, I'm going to worry about you, you you know, if you get distracted or you're, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, she purposely bows out of the relationship because of that. Um, To, to like, I don't know, like, I I never liked the way Kevin Smith wrote her in his, you know, in his versions or whatever. She was basically just there to kind of uh, get killed, basically. (laughs) She's there to get killed. And, and, and then... I don't know, like, just this whole, like, she's manipulating Bruce. It's like, you're taking kind of the nobility out of the character. Well, except in this last, in the winter finale, they redeemed her mm-hmm. um, a bit to show that she does have genuine feelings for him. She tries to stop what her uncle's doing to Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I think they're trying to develop it to where, you know, because she's seen that Bruce has this nobility to him, where Bruce could you know, have just completely spurned her. But once he found out that her uncle, basically the uncle was going to kill her because he was like, you you know, I, I didn't even need you and you're not helping and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And he was like, like, show me that you still have some sort of skill. You know, I want you, to, I want him to give you a kiss willingly before he dies. Mm-hmm. So you have to convince him that, you know, of something. And she tries to manipulate him a little bit. And he's like, I know you're manipulating me. I'm not going to fall for it. Mm-hmm. And then it's finally down to where she's like, well, my uncle's going to kill me if I don't get a kiss. And he kisses, you know, knowing that she's manipulating him, he kisses her anyway. He gives that to her, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was very sweet. <laughs> I'm a sucker. I'm sorry. Young but, love. Um, <laughs> You know, I like the fact that she wasn't able to manipulate him. They're showing that he is developing a little more, because Bruce was an idiot in that first season. Well, and, and that's the thing with having a, a basically a child or a teenager or whatever involved in your, your plots at this point, because Bruce sometimes is just there to get captured, so that they have a way of involving him in the plots that are going on, which is also the difficulty of keeping a character around who, by all rights, should have gotten out of Gotham and started his training already. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, for those who who know the back canon in terms of how Bruce develops from the moment his parents die to when he becomes Batman, he basically gets out of dodge almost immediately to start like getting his body and mind trained in the ways of 
of revenge, you know. And 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 that's the old school way of looking at it. I mean, much more nowadays in, in a post-Nolan world, we're basically looking at a kid who, you know, has a lot of issues he's trying to deal with and doesn't necessarily do them well. But one of the things that I liked is that, you know, after the whole thing with Galavan goes down, Bruce knows that Galavan had the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though he knows that it might also be a lie... He's like, well, but the odds are if he wanted this deal really badly, he, he found out something real, Yeah, you know, uh, to, to sweeten, you know, make the pot, you know, worth worth having. So he tries to get it out of Silver, and Silver won't tell him. Mm-hmm. And what he and Selena cook up is great, because there's this whole thing where you think that Galavan's group has kidnapped uh, Bruce. Mm-hmm. But and, and Silver just happened to be with them, and she was grabbed too. And that they're playing a game with Bruce, but it's really Bruce and Selena are playing this game with Silver. Oh, really? And as soon as the guy grabs Bruce and pulls him into the other room, he's like, "I'm going to get what I want out of you, kid." Mm-hmm. And he closes the door, and you hear, like, "I knew at that point, oh, this is the game Bruce is playing with her," because you hear all these screams and everything. And he's like, <laughs> "You know, you know, I'm going to take your fingers or something." You mm-hmm. know, and it's like, and Silver breaks down and is like, you know, and, and that's how they get the name out of her, which is M Malone. Okay. Um, so, um, but I like that. I like that Bruce was smart enough at this point, you know, to cook up this thing with Selena, because Selena knows shady people, mm-hmm. right? And so they got, they got like, one of uh, Selena's friends to, to do this whole thing of pretending to torture Bruce. <laughs> and I was like... That's that's great. <laughs> okay, like, I, I'll, I'll give them I'll give them props where it's due. I mean, if they can they can impress you, Nathan. With, you know. <laughs> well, and that's, that's just the smug look that Selena gives her because they've already set up that Selena and Silver don't like each other because even though Selena won't admit it, she kind of likes Bruce. Mm-hmm. You know, and Selena saw right through the manipulations right away, whereas Bruce it took a while. <laughs> because know, pretty and, girl, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like the resolve of Bruce Wayne is easily broken by a pretty face. Well, I know, but he is a kid. Yes, so true. I'm giving him a little credit. He's, here. A, he's a young man still trying to figure his figure out his way in the world these days. <laughs> it's a while before he swears off everything in order to like dedicate his life to the mission. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, I, so overall, would you say that the first half of season two for Gotham is is I guess, worth people's time? I think it is. Okay. There were, of the 11 episodes, there were two that I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is bad. Okay. But the other nine, I thought, were pretty good. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's not a bad ratio. Um, you know, but yeah, that the, the second, I don't remember what the other one is, but I know the second, because the first episode, when it came back, I was like, hey, this is getting a lot better. And then I saw the second episode, and I was like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> but then it got better with the third again and on, and then, one of the later ones was also kind of bad, but by that point I was like, oh, there have been enough good ones. So. Yeah, there's a, there's a little balance sheet going on there where you just have to go like, well, you know, based on good versus bad, it's still kind of like, you know, light side's kind of winning here. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to quit a lot of things to Star Wars at this point. <laughs> I'm a little I'm a little bogged down in it right now. It's just like, it's so good. <laughs> so, okay, well, let, let's get on to uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, which is the second one of which I've kind of fallen off the wayside with. So, um, what what has your been impression of this this season? Well, when when did you fall off the, the 
Will it with Agents of Shield? Uh, sometime last year. <laughs> really? Yeah. Just... I thought it got so much better last year over the first year, which if you'd fallen off in the first year, I'd be like, I understand, because the first it... year was kind of bad. Well, I stuck it out, and then, because I got to the point with, like, Daisy and everything, and, you know, the Quake powers and whatnot, and, uh, so, I, I don't know, I think it just, I stopped, I stopped watching after a hiatus, and then I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's still on, and I just, I don't know, it was just kind of one of those, like, I'm just not changing the channel right now, <laughs> kind of thing, because <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm lazy. <laughs> That's bad. Eh, I don't apologize for my laziness. It's just there. (laughs) No, I just mean what it says about Agents of Shield. That's awful. I I don't know. I mean, it just I I I like all the characters and everything. I like the people, but it I don't know. It just was one of those things where I just kind of just stopped. You know. Um, I I think this year Agents of Shield has been the best of the superhero shows. Really? Yeah. Okay. the finale, or the premiere, mm-hmm. I thought was the best of the premieres. Really? Um, the winter finale, I thought was the best of the finales. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I have liked everything they've done this season. My, my only criticism this season is that it feels like I'm in the middle of a whirlwind. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I've mentioned this a few times on, on my Facebook where it's like, I... I feel like we've gone from a society where most shows were just completely standalone mm-hmm. and might only like you know develop a little bit if they're you know around for like three or more seasons. Mm-hmm. You might see a change in the status quo. Agents of Shield anymore. It feels like two episodes every two episodes. It's like let's change the status quo again. <laughs> and I'm like, I would like. And, and, and again, it's funny, because the first season was way too slow on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. where we were in that status quo of the beginning for, like, 17 episodes. Yeah. But I would like to go to, uh, you know, at least, you know, have a situation for a few episodes. So, for instance, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they've, they've, they're basically going the X-Men route mm-hmm. with the Inhumans, where we can't deal with mutants or, or you know, anything, but what we're going to do is we're going to make it so that the Terrigen stuff which develop which causes an inhuman to manifest their powers yeah has gotten out into the food supply and there's no way to know where it is so anyone could randomly end up being an inhuman right so anyone could randomly end up getting powers okay and so there's been this outbreak basically um around the world of people suddenly developing these superpowers which they don't understand they can't control mm-hmm. and i think they're setting up civil war with the president which they actually used the guy who played the president in iron man 3 oh nice um developing this uh this 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 new government agency that's supposed to handle um you know the 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 you know these superpowered people mm-hmm. um the atc I think it is. Okay. And so this is this thing where S.H.I.E.L.D. keeps trying to find the Inhumans before the ATCU does because the ATCU is doing, you know, well, first they think they're killing them. Mm-hmm. Then it turns out that's not the case. There's actually a rogue Inhuman that's going around killing. So every time they go to a place where an Inhuman is and they find him already dead, it's not the ATCU. It's this rogue Inhuman called Lash uh-huh. um, that's that's been killing other Inhumans. But with the ATCU is they, they, they basically, like, grab the person they like knock them out and put them in like uh like a cell basically <laughs> and keep them sedated oh okay the idea is no yeah they, they, you know so the idea is we're trying to develop a cure okay for for this horrible thing that's happening and you know i mean and so it was nice i like that there was sort of like a moral ambiguity to what's going on here because like what roslin who's the head of the atcu was telling colson is you know 
these people are confused. They don't want what's happened to them. Mm-hmm. She's like, this is this is a kindness to keep them, you know, under sedation, keep them from hurting themselves or others until we can, you know, fix them, basically. Mm-hmm. And Coulson is like, well, yeah, but some of these people may not want that. And, you know, what we're trying to do is help these people understand who they are because Daisy now has a group within S.H.I.E.L.D., which is when they find an inhuman, they try to bring them in. They try to teach them about what they're, you know, what they can do. Yeah. And, you know, kind of develop it under safe conditions. Try to um, be like, embrace what you've got right now and right. help us fight the good fight. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's the thing. They're like, you don't have to help us in S.H.I.E.L.D., but we'd have to make sure you're not dangerous before yeah. we let you go. Make sure but that you have also, some control. <laughs> right. But they do also try to recruit people um, mm-hmm. from this as well. Um, so, um... So you basically have the, the... It's it's a proto kind of, um, Xavier Magneto thing, only it's it's more like Xavier's idea taken in two very different, um, scenarios. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and I wish they had maintained that status quo for more than just a few episodes, because then all of a sudden it turns out that even though Roslyn didn't know it, which, which is, I'm glad I like... That behind the whole ATCU was this ex Hydra guy, and Hydra's just said, everywhere. <laughs> he's uh, well, he and well, this is actually good on them. They got one of the people who was in the first Avengers movie, who was those faces on the screen that uh, mm. Nick Fury was talking to. Yeah, yeah. he's the guy. Oh. So it's actually a throw, you know. So it's actually a throwback to uh, the Avengers, mm-hmm. and he had always been part of you know what Shield was doing. And then when the whole thing with Hydra and Shield came out, this is now his new sort of agency he's developing. And the whole idea is he's trying to build an army with <laughs> these humans. So. Um, you know, so 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 I'm like, man, it's like I like that other scenario better. You know, because I'm a I'm a huge X Men fan mm-hmm. going back, and I was like, hey, I kind of like this. You know, it's not X Men, but it's dealing with the same sort of thing. Of you know, what would you do if all of a sudden people randomly started developing superpowers? You couldn't just let them, you know, like do nothing. I mean, you couldn't do nothing about it because they are dangerous. Yeah, you know, or many of them are. You know, uh, and and so it's like you, you would have to do something about it, but there's also the que- you know there's a question of civil liberties and there's a question of everything else. I'm like it's a neat moral quandary to play with of you know where does the protection of the general populace end and the you know the civil liberties of of the individual begin and all that kind of stuff. I like this plays really well into civil war mm-hmm. and uh, you know making it the Hydra plot. <laughs> you know, kind of was like, uh, you know, th- I mean, that, all those issues are still there beneath the surface, but it's become much more black and white that the ATCU is now this bad thing that we've got to take down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, playing all into that was there was at the end of the last season, Simmons got sucked into a portal mm-hmm. where she ended up on an alien world. As one does. <laughs> well, we didn't know where she ended up at the end of last season, actually. We just knew she was sucked into a portal. But yeah. she's an alien. She's in an alien world. We found out this uh, season. Um, find out that, basically, uh, Hydra in one form or another has been existing for hundreds of years. And this is something I didn't like. Okay. <laughs> because this, I, I hate whenever comics do this thing like, Spider-Man is more than just an identity. It's a legacy of this mystical spider force. Oh, yeah, that kind of crap. The dawn of time, you know. It's always been this way. It's a cycle. Oh, right. Uh, You know, and they're saying now there's been, like, Spider-Man since Egypt, you know, and it's like, really? It's like, they didn't even worship spiders in Egypt. (laughs) 
Like, you're getting your history wrong. You're not even getting your fake history right. <laughs> but, um, but so, so the, uh, so the idea is that Hydra, not, not isn't, it's not mystical for, but mm-hmm. Hydra basically has existed since for thousands of years in one form or another. So the Red Skull didn't create it, which, you know, was what annoyed me. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that, that they're basically the worshippers of this really powerful godlike being that used to exist. Mm-hmm. And he was banished to this other place. Was it through and a Stargate? Been... <laughs> yeah, this is almost like Stargate now, right? <laughs> and, you know, and, and the idea is that this was probably an inhuman thousands of years ago. That they were worshipping, he got banished. And they've been trying to send people through this portal ever since mm-hmm. and so the last group that went through was like 15 years ago they uh they they um sent some like nastra you know nasa astronauts through with some equipment and stuff mm-hmm. because they suspect that it's some other planet somewhere that the, this portal leads to but no one's ever come back mm-hmm. well that portal shield uh had the hold of it and in season two colson you know there was the two shields storyline in, in season two yeah. i don't know if you got that far but basically uh so the other shield had it colson but when they unified at the end of the season colson's group you know got it and that's when simmons accidentally got sucked into the portal because nobody knew what it was yeah and um and uh, so Simmons finds one of those astronauts on the planet. He's the only one who's still alive. He tells her there's this thing on the planet that's killed everyone. Um, and uh, and um, eventually, though, S.H.I.E.L.D. rescues her, not knowing there's somebody else on the planet. Because mm-hmm. it's this thing in the portal. They can only barely keep it open. And Fitz just pulls her. It's in the middle of a sandstorm. They pull her back. And she's like, and they're all surprised because they think she's going to be happy. And she's like, we got to go back. Oh, okay. Because we find out that at that point, because she was there for three months, she became, you know, that that guy became her lover and everything else because, you know, you're in a situation where you're the only two human beings alive on this planet. You never think you're going to be able to get out, you know, it's... Mm I'm almost interested to see like what it would play out if like they didn't actually become lovers. It was maybe like more of an antagonistic relationship. You never see that happening. Well, true. I mean, I guess I guess that's the possibility when you're marooned somewhere with someone else. You either kill each other or you become lovers. Yeah, it's like well, after three months, I've just been fighting with this guy the whole time. (laughs) I took a rock to his head while he slept. I feel much better now. Yeah. (laughs) La da da da. So, so, because wasn't there this whole thing with, like, because Fitz and Simmons are in that, that still, like, we might love each other, but one of us is always kind of like, I don't think it's going to happen. And Right, and that's, and that's where, you know, it went into where Fitz has been building up for three months. In fact, he kept his reservation, because they were supposed to go out to eat when mm-hmm. Simmons disappeared, and he's kept pushing back the reservation at the restaurant that they were going to eat at. Mm-hmm. And, like, the guy that tells Simmons when, when she comes back and they finally get to sit at the restaurant, he was like... You know, he's reserved this table, like, every day for three months, uh-huh. you know. And he, so in his mind, he's built this whole thing up of, you know, he's rescued her. Yay, we yeah. can be together! <laughs> and then it's like, and she keeps crying, and he doesn't know why, because she can't bring herself to tell him what happened, you know. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's the like, ultimate tragedy of Fitz and Simmons. <laughs> I know, so, you know, and then, you know, eventually it all comes out that, you know, I mean, she was with this guy on, the, on this world, and it's like, here's the thing. I like Fitz. Mm-hmm. I really do. I really wish Fitz... I, I feel like the show needs for Fitz to 
move on. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like he's pined for Gemma so much that even if they end up getting together, it will be such a one-sided relationship. Because Gemma's been interested in her. She was interested in Mike Peters originally, and then she was interested in Tripp. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she's always going through these strapping big manly men, right? Yeah. And, and even this NASA astronaut guy, Will, he's, you know, big strapping guy. I'm like, it will always be this one-sided relationship of Fitz, who has always just wanted Gemma. And Gemma, who's just been kind of like, eh, Fitz, I'll let you, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, you'll do for now because I'm between men. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I feel like well, I the can... only way that they could ever eventually get together and have it be even is if Fitz, for a while, is with someone else and interested in someone else. Yeah. And only then, like, maybe if things don't work out with him and that person, that maybe then he and Gemma can, you know, can get together. Because I feel, you know, I, I just feel for Fitz that Fitz just seems kind of pathetic right now. Well, and, and, and the thing think... is, with that, that with what you just described, that's normally a flipped scenario. It's usually the girl pining after the guy who's always going out on dates and always doing this and whatever, uh, and then they eventually get together because he discovers that she's been there the whole time. You know, like that. That's a that's almost like a basic romantic comedy plot, like <laughs> right there. And it it is kind of nice to see that flipped a little bit, where you know he's the one pining and she's the one who kind of shows an active interest in other people because she just never saw him that way until like it's you know she it's kind of almost pointed out to her um well, yeah it was i mean he basically told you i love you and i want you to live mm-hmm. you know more than i do you know exactly <laughs> it's like, that's like oh <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> is is Fitz still having problems with um like when he's talking like thinking of stuff and everything that that is the one thing that me is suddenly this season he seems all better i'm like do you Ow. i don't think you recover from brain damage like that quickly yeah that's not how that works guys <laughs> <laughs> like unless you have some like kree weapon or healing device or something like that uh, right i i yeah when, when we came back from the from the break and all of a sudden fitz is just talking normally and everything i'm like well, what <laughs> you know like uh and then you know they feel like you know viewers might have forgotten about that over the break i'm sure but mm-hmm. it's like i didn't forget about it and uh you know that that just yeah that kind of bothered me that that he's back to normal but at the same time i i understand that they felt like it it made it too hard for Mm -hmm. him to be part of this team actively yeah he would be too much of a liability i mean right right so you know I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe between episodes or between seasons, they found some inhuman healer or something who could, like, lay hands on his head or whatever. <laughs> you are healed! <laughs> like some revival tent kind of situation. <laughs> it's like, heal my son! He's like, I'm healed! Yay! I'm back to normal! Woohoo! But, but yeah, talking about the relationship, I, I totally agree. And it's a very real kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I've seen this kind of situation play out before. It certainly isn't gender-specific. Yeah. Um, but, like I say, I mean, I don't care if it's the, the girl and the guy or the guy and the girl. Whoever it is needs to stop the pining and move on. Because, yeah. you know, if I like them as a character, <laughs> you know, I, I want to see them move on. Because that person really doesn't, you know, if you really are that great person that they're not noticing, well, then they don't deserve you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's that's sort of the thing. Is It's like, you know, and you ought to find someone who notices you for the, the great person that you are rather than pining over someone who doesn't. So so that's what I would like for Vince is I, I feel like if the, 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 he needs to at least get some um, 
you know, some self-respect. Yeah, at, um, at the very you, least, you, he, you need to see what he's like with someone else. Yeah. So that, you know, the eventual hookup with, uh, with Gemma... Uh, you know, kind of means something more. Like, it's not just, I've always been pining. It's just like, you know, we've both gone our separate ways, but somehow it always comes back to us, you know? Right. That right. I would like to see that very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, so how the season, do you want, I mean, you don't, do you care if I No, go ahead. That? I don't okay. care. <laughs> um, so how the season ends is, um, they do go to the, uh, the other, what happens is the Hydra people, because they know that Coulson's group has been able to retrieve someone from that other world, they're they're trying to get there to pull back this this powerful being. Mm-hmm. So um, Coulson, hilariously, um, the portal is in this sort of um, open roofed uh, area the, that that Hydra opens, and he skydives <laughs> into the portal. So imagine a Stargate laid on its side, you know, laid so that's facing up, mm-hmm. and Coulson just jumps out of an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Like, of course he does. It's Coulson. <laughs> because what happened is Ward went through. Oh, okay. So this, Avenger, the, 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 this guy Malik, who was the, the face in the Avengers, he basically recruits Ward um, and said, you know, because Ward's trying to start up his own Hydra because most of the, the heads of Hydra have died in the Avengers movies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so Ward is like, well, I'm the head of Hydra now. And then this Malik guy shows up and he's like, well, not really. How could I be the head of Hydra and you be a slightly smaller head of Hydra? <laughs> right. Yeah, he's basically like, hey, what you've done is some good work. You know, you're definitely, you know, uh, following, you know, the principles. But, hey, kid, you're, you know, you don't really know anything. You, know, <laughs> and you, need, you need me to teach you a few things. So, you need some um, guidance. <laughs> right. And so one of the things that he tells him is, look, one of our goals has always been to bring this guy back. Because this is how we control the world. Because mm-hmm. if we can get this guy back. You know, he's so powerful. They haven't really described the powers yet, and I don't know what common character they're going for. Okay. But they, they, he's like, this person is so powerful that we get him back, we get to rule the world. And um, so he sends Ward with a bunch of troops through the portal. Uh, Coulson goes through the portal and Fitz, because they've captured Fitz mm. and Simmons, which is how they get the portal open to get it stabilized, is, you know, they, they want them to tell them. And so Ward, being creepy... Ward that knows them so well is like, all right, well, you, you torture Simmons and mm-hmm. try to get her to talk, and you let Fitz listen. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, because this is what, you know, because he's like, don't torture Fitz, that's not going to work. Yeah. You torture, you know, you torture her. He's like, so either she'll break down from the torture, or Fitz will break down from hearing her tortured. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, so Fitz does. Yes. Um, and he's like, okay, I'll help you. But, um, so what they do for insurance is they leave Gemma on the, the Earth side and they take Fitz with them. So it's Fitz and Coulson are the two agents of Shield on the other world, and um, it's everybody else on, on, on our on, you know on our side. And um, anyway, they end up finding uh, Will, the astronaut guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're looking for this powerful being or whatever. And then um, was it Will the whole time? It wasn't Will the whole time. We Damn find out this, this guy possesses people. Oh, okay. And so he has possessed Will. After Gemma left, he possessed Will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, they're, they almost get him there, but then he, he says a little too much. He says something... I'm trying to remember how it all comes down. Basically, Coulson is able to shoot a bunch of the people with Ward before Ward gets to Coulson. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there's very few people that it's Ward and Will and Fitz. Will and Fitz are going towards where the portal's supposed to open up when Coulson gets Ward. Mm-hmm. Then um, Will is talking to Fitz about, you know, it's too bad about this war because they, they find, like, Fitz finally sees, like, ruins of a city. Mm-hmm. Where before every shot of this world has always been just desolate landscape, and then it's like he's like, "Oh, there, there was there were people here once," and Will's like, "Yeah, they were they were really stupid. They had the potential for greatness, but they you know but they squandered it." And Will's like, or Fitz is like, "How do you know about you know these people?" And, and he's like, "Because I was there." And then he hits Fitz, and that's when you find out, "Oh crap!" Ah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like shit, it's going down. <laughs> right, and. Um, you know, so so they're fighting at the same time Coulson and Ward are fighting. Coulson kills Ward, um, and he and Fitz get away. Fitz Fitz gets gets away from Will. They get away through the portal, and then um, you know they get through the portal. They leave. Uh, Shield bombs this this place where the portal was, and you think it's all over. And Malik has run away. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the Hydra guy. Well, he. Um, is driving and suddenly the car stops and standing in front of him on the street is Ward staring back so so Ward is possessed now and the guy playing Ward is like this has been a godsend (laughs) 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 because he's like there's only so much you can do with this guy yeah so now he's just a walking meat bag right now he's just a walking meat bag so we'll see what the personality of whatever is inside of him is and and from the things Will had said because Will remembered Gemma and everything else Whatever, I mean, this thing possesses you, it has access to all your thoughts and memories and everything, too. So mm-hmm. he'll still be Ward, too, but he'll be something else as well, you know, so he'll he'll still be know everything Ward knew. So. I, I find it interesting with this actor, because it's Brett Dalton, right, is the, yeah. yeah, the actor playing Ward, because he's, he, I think, more than any of the other actors, has gone through so many different shades of one guy, yeah. uh, or has had to, like, do more acting in terms of, first he's, like, kind of cookie-cutter-esque Ward, who's faking it the whole time, and then we find out he's the Hydra agent, and then it's, like, the weird, creepy sociopath side of him. (laughs) It's like, he's, he, more than anyone else, has kind of gone through all of these different, like, acting exercises. (laughs) Hello, Sky. Yeah, it's so creepy. But, and it's so interesting, it's like, they clearly like the actor, and they want to keep him around, but it's almost like every time they find a new shade for him to go through, they run out of things to do with it. Right. <laughs> so they got to find well, something else. Well, and again, it's like they never like to keep it a status quo now. I mean, I guess it's because people were so pissed at that first season. Mm-hmm. But they're now like, no, we're going to make sure we change things up every you know few seconds because we don't want anyone to complain again that it's uh, becoming stale. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's good because I think he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly think Creepy creepy Ward could have been around for a bit longer because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like he, he, he became magnetic as soon as he became Creepy Ward. Yeah. It's like in a way that when he was just normal Ward in season one was just, this is a block character, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. You know, but that was the fun thing about it is that, oh, he's supposed to be this bland guy that you don't really think you know, about watch too closely because that's the cover mm-hmm. he's not interesting enough to you know to pay attention to even when he was like conflicted about what he wanted to do as a hydra agent it was kind of like okay this is this is interesting this right. gives him layers as a character <laughs> so no i appreciate it it just let i mean just 
given all of the different things that they've done with Ward, it's just like, you guys clearly want to keep him around, but you're running out of ideas. <laughs> um, okay, so overall, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is pretty much the best. Can, you know, that, in my opinion, it is the best. It's okay. pushing all my buttons that I really like. Um, like I say, it seems to be moving a bit too fast, but... You know, I mean, it's better than moving too slow. True. You know, so I would rather have that over the other. So, so yeah, I, I think of the of the five shows, it is on top right now. Excellent. Okay, so we've done that. Now we can start talking about shows that I actually have been watching. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. An hour into the podcast, we can now do a back and forth. Oh, yes. Yeah. I feel like I contribute even when you're just talking about stuff. <laughs> Yes, I keep it entertaining. God damn it! Um, so let's start with Arrow because Arrow is the uh, MVP of the DC shows at this point, uh, or at least it's the longest lasting one. Uh, we're in season four now. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so, okay, I'm just going to tell you like how I feel about Arrow right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and the way it is is just it's. I feel like Arrow still doesn't quite know what it what it is. Like, it still doesn't know what it's doing as far as the characters, because while I understand the evolution of Ollie, in terms of he goes from the vigilante, to the hood, to the arrow, to now green arrow, everything else always feels like they're still throwing darts at a board and going like, well, this. How about this? Um, Which is... I don't know. It, it's kind of good and bad at the same time. It it just makes for a very uneven season. Um, what what about you, Nathan? Well, I I really hated season three. Mm-hmm. And not to say I hated everything about it, but just like when we finally got to where it ended, I was just like, you could have told that in a half season, mm-hmm. and you could have cut out so much of this fat. And I didn't like you know certain things. Like I felt like the Thea. You know, uh, 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 Thea shouldn't have been like just fine and dandy after getting out of the Lazarus pit and some stuff like that. Yeah. But um, but then all of a sudden this season, it's like, oh, they're finally picking that back up. You know, and mm-hmm. showing that there were consequences and everything else. Um, so I have been more on board with this season because it seems like at least plot wise they know what they're doing and that there's an actual arc and a through line, and it doesn't seem like we've been going in circle. I mean, the circle last season with. Malcolm's bad with the league. Malcolm's good with the league. Hmm. Malcolm's bad with the league again. He's good with the yeah. It's just like, oh my god, why are we going in these circles? So, well, and it's it was the whole like you know you'll be the new Raja Ghoul kind of thing, and it's just like it was uh, it it was a season that could have benefited from uh, uh, two two separate arcs, you know, yeah. one going yeah. on in the first half, one going on in the back half, because yeah, the whole Rachel Ghoul and. Oliver becoming blah 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 and whatever. It just it just slowed down so badly, and then the season finale just felt like such unearned, like anything. So yeah, by comparison to season three, season four is is much better. <laughs> and I am more disposed to like these characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I really I love Oliver and Diggle and. Um, Felicity. Uh, uh, Felicity. Nah, <laughs> this is funny because everyone else loves Felicity. I don't really like Felicity, but I like Laurel. I know mm. everyone hates Laurel. I like Laurel. I like a lot of these characters. I like Laurel when she's actually making good decisions. <laughs> right. And, and, and I mean, basically, 
Laurel second season aside, I was like, well, mm-hmm. second season was kind of rough. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> uh, but um, you know, so I like a lot of these characters, and it's just, I, I feel like Elicity needs to go, and I think we're seeing that happening now, is, is we're going in that direction. Because um, I, I don't feel like these are two characters who really ever could work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do I do struggle with Felicity because I find her more annoying more often than not. Um, she was... Uh, I, I don't know. This season, it seems like particularly they're going back to more of her season one persona, which I found very difficult. And, well, last um, season, she was just crying all the time. And... Right. No, I know. And the whole thing with her and Ray was bad for multiple reasons. First, because it made him look like this horrible, creepy stalker guy that mm-hmm. wouldn't take no for an answer. Yeah. And two, because it seemed like when she finally did act, it was just like, well, because I don't have Oliver right now, I'm just going to go, go for you. Yeah, and exactly. It it's like, like well... Was, didn't make either one of them look good. It's a relationship <laughs> of convenience, basically. And... Right. <laughs> I guess you'll do. Well, and I guess, I mean, if they had at least just owned up to that part, like, she was just like, yeah, you know, that if, if it had been, like, that straightforward, then you could have been like, oh, okay, fine. Like, if that's what she's going to do, then she's going to do that. So. Right. No, I know. It was more, yeah, because, I mean, at the end, I mean, his feelings were hurt, even though he was, you know, fairly decent about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, but... Um, more decent than most people would be. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and so, uh, all right, so, I... I I like these characters more. The, the thing that's frustrating me this season is the Diggle with his brother thing. Yeah, it's like Be- the whole bringing back Andy in the first place just spoke yeah. of, like, we need something for Diggle to do other than be mad at Oliver. Well, I'm very worried that they're going to kill Diggle off, because that's been my worry since day one, once they started bringing other people in, mm-hmm. was that Diggle becomes superfluous from a Oliver needs him as his backup point of view. Yeah. Because he's got... Roy or the Laurel and everyone else now, and I'm like, he's the one that doesn't wear a mask and doesn't wear a costume. Mm-hmm. Like, they're gonna kill off Diggle. No. Well, and so. I and I think also like if if they were gonna set up the you know Diggle eventually dies thing, it it services the the whole like you know he doesn't have that kind of grounding mentor brother figure anymore. Which is also what Ollie needs at times, because you know one of the things that they have established is that Oliver very much will keep things to himself. He keeps it in his in his own head because he doesn't want other people to get hurt. But Diggle's usually the one that can kind of get him to admit to whatever he needs to or talk about whatever he needs to in, in more of a way than Felicity can. There is a mental illness in the entire Berlanti Arrowverse anyway yeah. of people just feeling the need to keep the most ridiculous secret. I mean, the, one of my friends said that the whole "Don't Tell Iris" thing in the Flash became almost pathological. Oh my I god! Love- yeah, like that—that's the—that's the thing where it's just like you could have solved a lot of problems if you had just told this person at this moment. And and the most egregious like you know uh, bit of that is in the the crossover with the Flash where. Um, when they go to Central City and it's the whole, like, part of what Arrow suffered from in this first half is also trying to set up the, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Um, they, they kind of took the brunt of having to set a lot of that stuff up by not only bringing Sarah back in a really haphazardly awful way of using Constantine, um, but we'll get into that, uh, Constantine, you know, you have Sarah being brought back, then you have Ray being brought back, and uh, and and now you have like the setup with Hawkgirl and Hawkman. 
Uh, so when they're in Central City during this two-parter, we've already established that the girl who uh, basically lied to Oliver about having miscarried their child lives in Central City, and that was a really good callback you know, last year when they did it. Um, so this time, of course, like he gets more involved and finds out that this kid is his son purely based on nothing. <laughs> like... <laughs> He sees the kid, he sees him with the girl who was his, uh, formerly was his girlfriend and, you know, possibly might have, like, lost the kid. Not, not even that much, he was dating Laurel at the time. Oh, that's right, yeah, she was his on-the-side action. <laughs> right. Back when he was, you know, really, like, wigged out Oliver. Right. Um, and so he only bases it on the fact, like, oh, he looks about the age that our kid might have been, and he's your kid, so I'm just going to steal some of his hair off of a baseball cap. <laughs> and it's like, he doesn't even take her word for it that this kid couldn't be his. Like, I don't know, it just feels like the whole, like, we need to make this work somehow, so we'll just have him jump to some conclusions. Well, uh, I don't know. At the same time, though, I mean, I can understand him doing some mental calculations and being like, wait a minute. And obviously, if she told him she miscarried and was lying to him, he wasn't going to take her. You know what I'm saying? If that possibility got into his mind, mm -hmm. well, she lied to me back then. Yeah, why you wouldn't know, she know? She could be lying to me now, you know? So, mm -hmm. I, guess, I mean, actually just getting the piece of hair from the baseball cap and not really interfering any more than that, you know, seemed to me to be the best way to handle it rather than making a big deal about it right there on her front yard. Well, although him <laughs> just showing up at her house is still kind of like, ah! <laughs> oh, well. I'm just saying, there, there are just kind of moments where Oliver is kind of skirting that line between what's acceptable. <laughs> well, I mean I, I, I mean, I guess that's a fair point, but at the same time, I feel like since Moira and this woman already hid this from Ollie that he has a right to know that he has a son. True. You know, and so I'm a little more okay with it. Because, I mean, I guess if it did turn out it wasn't his kid, then I would be a bit more yeah. like, oh, Oliver, no. But it's like, I knew it was his kid, so I was a little more okay with it. Because I'm like, he, he has a right, you know, yeah. to know that he has this kid there. And, and, and yeah, and that's fine. We eventually, you know, we get the, the for real confirmation that that's his son. And, and then it becomes a situation where Oliver is delivering deliberately holding back information from Felicity because there's absolutely, I get that the, I don't remember what her name is. Oh, Samantha. That's it. That's why <laughs> like, her name is Samantha. She, she tells Oliver that he can't tell anyone else about his son if he wants to, to see him. Um, and which is a, is one of those requests that I understand on one level. And get it. Like, she's doing that because, from her perspective, you know, he's running for mayor, but he's also kind of in the line of fire of these potential assassins. Right. Um, so she doesn't want anyone knowing because she's afraid her son will, will get sucked into his very strange world. And that works on two levels because superhero. Um, so I get that. But for her to be like, you can't tell anyone, not even the woman that you are planning to propose to... That's where it gets kind of like, seriously, he can't tell his girlfriend, you know, and and the fact that he goes through with that by not telling Felicity when he could have easily just said, by the way, I just found out that I have a son and I'm from time to time going to need to go into Central City to go visit him. But his mother just doesn't want like anyone else involved. Like that is literally the least amount of stuff he has to say to, to Felicity. Like, 
and then that's it. She doesn't really need to know much more than that. Yeah. But well, he can't even do that. Two, two, two thoughts on this. Okay. Because one of the things that frustrated me about the two-parter, you know, Flash crossover, was the... Egregious use of time travel? The egregious use of time travel, mm-hmm. yes. Um, <laughs> because... I, I, it was okay. I, I hated it when they used it in the first season of The Flash, but at the same time, I said, okay, just this one time to show that he can time travel. Mm-hmm. You know, establish that fact. Yes. It was fine. Um, but I, I hate reset buttons in general, because mm-hmm. you know, I want there to be consequence to all actions. And, and second of all, well, I mean... Back up a little further. The mm-hmm. other thing that annoys me about the whole time travel thing is how Barry is just like, "Oh, time travel! You can't do time travel because when I change anything, it becomes so much worse." Um, Barry, the second timeline last season was way better than the first one. A tsunami <laughs> took out Central City. What happened the second timeline? Cisco got captured and Stark forced him to make a gun for his sister. Ooh, <laughs> you know, it's like you still fix things a whole lot. Yeah. You know? So this whole idea that Barry has, you know, of, oh Wells told me not to do it, and it's so much worse. I'm like, it's stupid because your own evidence has shown that time travel works. Yeah. They have to give Barry that attitude though, or otherwise it's going to be like, well, why don't you time travel anytime anything goes south? Mm-hmm. You know, but anyway, okay, so back to, so, so, so I, you know, one of the things I hated about the two-parter was the, the egregious use of time travel. So we already saw timeline A, where Felicity finds out, and granted, it's not because Oliver tells her, it's because she suspects that something's up, mm-hmm. he, you know, and he's forced to tell her, and then she goes through this whole thing of basically, we're through, Oliver, and Or it's like, how can you, like, how could you not tell me, like, almost immediately after learning this piece of information? <laughs> my exact problem with it mm-hmm. he, then it's fair for Oliver to take some time to process yeah. what has just happened I mean to me that was like that was really stupid on Felicity's part to demand that you know he first doesn't you know because why would he tell her before he knew for sure he needed to get the, the DNA results Yeah, and then it's like okay once he knows for sure then it's like oh god you know like what you know how you know what do I do with this information? So exactly. I I think it's fair for him to take a day or two, especially we're in the middle of this like life or death fight mm-hmm. against an immortal warrior. Yeah, it's it seems like she she should kind of give him some slack on that one. <laughs> right. So 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 my point is, we've already seen what happens with Felicity. I mean, maybe if Oliver comes to her and is like. You know, like, hey, you know, and, and he's more upfront about it, but already too much time has passed for him to do that now. Well, and even I, in the in the first scenario, at the at the very least with her knowing and that they have had this, you know, I guess big fight over it, that at least there's some place where they can work from there. Like, it's it's in the heat of the moment, you know, she's mad, he's he's still mad and confused and all this other stuff, but at least she knows. And it's not like he's withholding the information deliberately you know now because and and i do appreciate the fact that barry is the one that actually makes oliver go back and repeat this scenario because oliver is you know despite knowing now that he has a son without the whole dna thing having to happen because barry figured it you know barry knows you know now it becomes a, uh, a you know, barry barry kind of inadvertently causes almost the same problem to happen but now it becomes a situation where Ollie is deliberately keeping something from Felicity. And and that's a worse thing because then it's just the when is she going to find out scenario. And then it's going to be so much worse. 
<laughs> right. Well, that's the that's the thing. I mean, because Barry misunderstood because he only heard half the conversation mm-hmm. and thought that it was just the fact that Felicity found out that Oliver has a kid that made her upset. Yeah. And so he's already sort of primed Oliver for the idea of you can't tell her. Mm-hmm. So when the, 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 the mother makes the same demand on him, it's kind of like, okay. You know, so I think it I think it helps Oliver from that standpoint that Barry's already told him, like, you guys are going to break up over this. Well, and, and then he's also saying, I mean, and from Barry's perspective, you can also see it because he says to Oliver, like, as someone who didn't grow up with, a, you know, uh, his, his biological father at the very least, you know, he's like, every kid needs their dad, you know, that kind of. So you can even see it from Barry's perspective why he says what he says to Ollie. And and then how you know how he ends up back there. So it's 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 interesting how the setup and the conclusion of that actually do kind of fit in a in a weird way. But yeah, the time travel bit, it's just like it just causes that whole like, oh yeah, scenario A and nobody makes it out of this and then scenario B because and I don't know, yeah, it's just the moment you see the ghosting, you know, with the time travel, you're like, Oh, okay, so this isn't going to matter right now. Right. <laughs> you're like, yeah. I, uh, but yeah, so, so, um, you know, with the kid thing, you know what's going to happen is that eventually Felicity's going to find out that Oliver's been making secret trips mm-hmm. to Central City to be with his kid. Yeah. And then she's going to be completely justified in being pissed. You know, I don't feel she was justified in the original, you know, timeline, but like, you know, if Oliver keeps this from her for like months, mm-hmm. and it's like, you've been making these secret, because you know what she's going to think? She's going to think he's got some woman he's seeing or something. Exactly. And she's going to want to find out what he's doing. Why is he making these secret trips? Mm-hmm. Find out that he's got this kid he's been hiding from her. And that's going to be like, why don't you tell me about this? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I just, I see the train wreck coming. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just kind of it's kind of painful. <laughs> well, and then there's the second train wreck of the at the mid-season finale, we, you know, Felicity may or may not die. She's she's not going to die everybody. We already no, she's not. Yeah. She's they're not, not going to kill off a major character like her without anyone already knowing about it like months in advance. Um, but I I I don't care for the fake out death scenario. Like, it is not a, a favorite trope of mine because, I, I and I don't, you know, of course these shows all write, you know, separate of each other, but kind of already went through it in The Walking Dead. Uh, spoilers for Walking Dead. <laughs> but, because you don't, you don't watch it, right? No, I don't. And you don't care if I... No, I don't care. Okay. So there was a whole scenario with the fake out of Glenn's death. And it was presented as if he had died. They kind of went through the motions of almost treating it like he had only for everyone to figure it out and then feel really betrayed by the the show because of it. You know, it didn't really serve a narrative purpose other than to get people going like, oh my God, Glenn's dead. It's like, oh no, he's not dead. Yay, triumphant hero return, right? Nope. Um, so with Arrow, with the, uh, is, you know, Felicity got shot in the, you know, after basically Oliver just keeps throwing everything in Damien Dark's face is like, we will not stand up. You know, we will, we'll stand up to this guy. And every time that happens, he gets his ass whooped. (laughs) I I will give that episode credit for, because throughout the whole episode, they made me suspect that they were going to do every single, you know, I was like, is it going to be Diggle? Mm -hmm. You know, is it going to be Thea? Is it going to be Laurel? Is it going to be, because they gave 
they gave lines for everyone that would seem ironic in hindsight if they were the one mm-hmm. that Dark got. Everyone got was, that kind of like closure statement with whoever they had been arguing with. And right, yeah, like Laurel and her dad. And I was like, oh crap, they brought back Sarah. Are they gonna, you know, kill off Laurel? Or, you know, like all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh no. And um, but you know, the whole Felicity thing of you know, I can protect myself. You don't need to do anything. Because, well, nope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, shit. If that just don't sound like a I might die line, then that'd be it. But it's it's. Because in the so, uh, but I, I read an article which helped solidify my already opinion that Felicity is too popular for them to kill off. And the great point that they brought out is if if this was Felicity's death, it would the, the episode would have ended with Oliver at the grave. Mm-hmm. Um, which I already knew because Arrow time and, and real world time has always been synchronous. Yeah. When it said six months later in the premiere, I'm like, it's not going to be, though, even though everyone's telling me, someone's going to die in the winter finale. I was like, no, it's not six months. It's like April. Yeah. So somebody's going to die around April time frame, you know, one of the episodes around then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, of course, this is a teaser to play into that fear, you know, oh, Felicity's dead, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, I don't believe for an instant because there's no reason to leave her death until the next day. You know, because they showed in the preview she's going into the hospital. Mm-hmm. There's no need for us to open on her dying in the hospital. And no, then it's it's either going to be it's either going to be a scenario where you know yeah they go to the hospital, which could also be a flashback. You never know like how they how they might approach that. But it, it either is that she survives, and some people have posited that maybe this might be her turn going through the Oracle route. You know, she might uh, get a bullet in the back and uh, paralyzed, which would be interesting because Felicity is essentially the oracle of the Arrowverse, um, which would then create another level of, you know, uh, you know, shame and, uh, you know, guilt for Ollie, uh, which would maybe further drive the two of them apart. Uh, And then, uh, so it's either she survives and is maybe horribly injured or someone tries to set up a fake out death in order to fool Ollie, um, which has been known to happen too. So, (laughs) and then it isn't revealed until later on because when he thinks she's dead, he starts to become more involved with Samantha and his son. Uh, was it Will? William? Yeah. I don't know why it wasn't Connor. I know. It's just like, come on guys. Like you have every ability to set this stuff up. Like, why don't you take it? Um, Is the name trademarked? I don't know. Uh, But yeah, so it it could either drive him towards that and then, oh, it's suddenly revealed that she's alive. And then there's like, oh shit, I've just been reconnecting with the mother of my child and my kid. And so there's different ways that this could go and trust the CW to try to find the most dramatic way because pretty white people with problems. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, that's hilarious because uh, there was a Mad TV sketch years ago about a show called Pretty White People with Problems. Oh yeah, no, that's where I got it from. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's been so true ever since Dawson's Creek. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I, um, is that in that scene that they had when Barry shows up he doesn't seem all that broken up that he missed the funeral where if it was Felicity Mm. Barry would be devastated that he missed the funeral but it seems more like he wanted to be there for Oliver Uh you know whoever died than for whoever died so I don't think it's Felicity because Barry has that personal connection that is true 
that yeah, so. then that makes it either believe it's Dig or Lance, uh, Detective Lance. Yeah, I've 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 also read some speculation on the Lance thing because there's all those wreath type things around the grave, mm-hmm. and that's common when like either a soldier or uh, a police officer or someone that line you know dies. Like they're like you usually don't get that for a normal you know citizen who dies. Yeah, you know. So again, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of speculation on it, of course. It is it is obviously a MacGuffin they threw in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got a little annoyed and said, why did this show turn into Once Upon a Time? <laughs> um, but like, uh, when I saw that back in the first episode this season, because mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like that's a cheap way of bringing the tension by showing us a scene from six months in the future mm-hmm. rather than ratcheting the tension. Because, you know, that... that Knowing that someone dies already spoils for me that someone is going to die. Yeah, it takes the shock away from the actual death. Right, and either I'm going to feel like it was a minor character and that they teased me. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it's the mom who dies, which some people have speculated, you know, so Oliver has to take the kid in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I'll feel like, oh, you built up all that hype for nothing. Yeah. You because know, while that's a major development for Oliver that he has to suddenly become a father, mm-hmm. um, it's not some you know it's not a character that I really cared about in any way. Exactly. Or, or I, it's going to be someone major, and I'm going to be like, you, you totally spoiled that for me because I've already run through all the scenarios <laughs> in my mind. So no matter who it is, it's not a spoiler. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like I've been preparing for this for a long time now. <laughs> but uh, so. Uh, what's your opinion of Damien Dark? I was unimpressed mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning um, when he showed up. Um, I was like, man, this guy doesn't really have, um, you know, the presence that, mm-hmm. he, I mean, that definitely that Slade had. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> although, or Merlin. It's like those two, it's like, they, they've already kind of trotted out, you know, like two really great villains and i get that it's really hard to top that mm-hmm. um but um you know i, I was i wasn't really all that impressed with rachel ghoul until i saw him fight yeah i he... was like why do we have this guy with this australian accent you know <laughs> being rachel ghoul i'm like rachel ghoul is supposed to be like hundreds of years old and of course then i found out that in their version he's he's not quite you know, he's like 160 or something so yeah. he's not quite as old as Rachel Ghoul in the comics and whatnot but I was like Australia wasn't even around back then <laughs> <laughs> well even the, I, I do kind of appreciate the whole like uh the immortality of Raja Ghoul is more just the name being passed down um right. with the Lazarus pit being used to kind of like well if you get mortally wounded we can at least help you out here <laughs> you know well I mean it does extend life obviously for a bit but he was about 160 and said he had taken it about as much as he could so oh, okay. you know so that wasn't uh you know so so didn't allow him to be like a true immortal yeah um but uh you know but I, I was not really impressed with him from a screen presence point of view dark didn't impress me he's grown on me as the season has progressed mm-hmm. because he's been more he's got this sort of um how do I put it? He's got this sort of understated power. He's got this sort of it's he, he's he's holding back from what he can do. Mm-hmm. But whenever you know someone pisses him off, he shows what he can do, and that sort of barely restrained, 
you know, uh, uh, power, you know, kind of thing that he's got going on. I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that he's he's not going to cross a certain line just in normal, de- you know, in normal dealings. He will pretend to be just this businessman that's just this, you know, really powerful businessman. But he will, if you cross him or, or go against anything he considers a certain moral principle or whatever, he'll, he'll immediately just, you know, get rid of you. Yeah. Um, like the one person who, like, kidnapped the daughter. Mm-hmm. to make the mayor candidate he was like that's you know no you don't do that yeah <laughs> you know? well like, and, and them like setting up that kind of like he has I mean, when he talks to lance like he has a kid he understands you know there's they actually did kind of a i think they did a good job of giving him a couple of layers so that um you you kind of understood why he was doing something or at the very least like you said there's that understated kind of um anger that's that's there and comes out when something doesn't go the way he wants it to. Um, and I like the actor, Neil McDonough, uh, who they have playing him. I think he does a, uh, you know, he was in like Band of Brothers and in a couple of other movies that where he's just really good at being sort of, you know, like off kilter slightly. Like, you, yeah, you know there's something going on behind this guy. He's not this larger than life character, like either Merlin or Slade. Who were just so you know like the scene it's it's all them yeah but at the same time yeah he's got this sort of off kilterness to him he's you know he, he's he's more understated but that's part of the character that he's playing is mm-hmm. that he, he doesn't just throw around the fact that he's got all these powers and his threat level is really high yeah because as we saw Merlin threw everything at this guy mm-hmm. and Merlin's a guy that gives Oliver a run for his money yeah and <laughs> they couldn't take this guy out. You know, despite everything, you know that that, that they did to him, and so well, I, they, I like that they blew the guy up, and he still. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, know. I mean, and that's and that's interesting too, because at the at the end of the season of the mid season finale, when they're they're playing the Christmas music and it's all dramatic and everything, he shows up to find like you know he's at his home with his wife and daughter, which we've never met. This is the first time we're seeing them, but it's this this you know kind of beautiful contrast of him and this like happy family and all the terrible things that he's having done to other people i'm shooting up this guy and his girlfriend right now but yay let's spend christmas together it's like shades of the west wing like when the there's a, a episode called in excelsis deo where they're singing that song and all the characters kind of line up in this interesting like hero shot at the same time another character is at a, a soldier's funeral so it's it's really, I, I kind of like those contrasts. Those, it's a very Whedon-esque kind of thing, too. You know, let's show you one thing while another thing is happening. <laughs> or very Godfather, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they haven't revealed the whole plan yet, but I think what they gave away was already pretty much it. That he's developing like this secret underground bunker, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that they're going to do is they're going to be, you know, because he's, he's basically taking the tactic that I thought, Rachel Ghoul should have because you know in the comics Rachel Ghoul is very much a you know we got to destroy the world to save it kind of guy yeah and um, you know of I think you know they're creating the secret bunker where they're going to bring their chosen few you know underground mm-hmm. you know to live in this you know sustainable you know place while they set off whatever natural disaster you know above ground to wipe out you know the people they feel are unworthy or whatever are they going to drop chemo on them like they did in Bloodhaven. <laughs> Like, if, if no one knows what I'm talking about, go read Under the Red Hood. <laughs> so. um, yeah, it's a, it, it is, 
it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what like the full extent of his plan ends up becoming. But you know, for now, I'm I mean, I'm I'm at least interested. I mean, it's not like I've I want to stop watching Arrow. It's just that there's certain things where I'm like, why are you doing that? Why is that happening now? <laughs> I really feel like they have to stop making everything just about Starling City. Yeah, it's because like... the number of people whose goals are to destroy Starling City is ridiculous. I, I, I that's why I'm hoping Dark's plan, even though he's saying Starling City is a dead city and just needs to die, I'm hoping his plan is like a worldwide plan because I mean it's starting to become really silly that all these different villains just have a reason to destroy this one particular city and no others. Well, it's I mean again it goes back to them we're trying to be Batman. And right. Star City has now become the, you know, you know, uh, de facto Gotham. Where... Right, but even Batman becomes international from time to time and goes to other places. I mean, he's mostly a Gotham City character. But, but there's, you know... a, there's a level of, like, uh, insanity of people going in and trying to destroy Gotham. Like, Gotham is the right. uh, pillar of decadence and, you know, the downfall of society. So Star City has become that kind of a representative. And so... I can see why all the villains keep going there. I understand that it's frustrating. <laughs> I really do. Because you're like, why is this city so goddamn important? <laughs> like, Well, and I mean, but even for their agenda to always be to destroy it, why can't we have a whole arc, okay, fine, set it in Star City, but have it have nothing to do with I'm going to destroy the city? Because that's always the end game. Merlin, even though he wants to destroy a portion of the city, Slade, destroy the city, Rachel Ghoul, destroy the city, Dark, mm-hmm. destroy the city. It's ridiculous to have another plan for the city than to destroy it. I don't care. Yeah, where's the where's the gentrification plot? I mean, <laughs> at the very least, go like Lex Luthor on it and buy up all the property, and you know, <laughs> real estate. I mean, that's the thing. It's like that. That's a that's actually kind of a more timely plot if you have a guy like Damian Dark who obviously has infinite funds. Like, what if he bought up, like, most of the property in in the city and then is, like, slowly pushing people out? And then it gives Ollie, again, another chance to be that street-level vigilante that he he kind of is in the comics from time to time, where it's about social justice and it's not just about, like, oh my god, this guy can move shit with his mind, you know? I am really disappointed in the show for really missing the opportunity to use him losing his company and basically all him because they said so many times that he was going to lose all his assets because mm-hmm. um, Thea didn't sign the stupid papers. But uh, <laughs> damn it, Thea, you are the worst. <laughs> you are the worst. But um, you know, I mean that that disappoints because I feel like if they had taken him to almost nothing, mm-hmm. that would have been it would, a it would have been more compelling because. When you're the underdog, that's always when the story is more interesting. Mm-hmm. And if Oliver actually had to work for his equipment and, you know, actually try hard and, and make do with less and whatnot, it would it would propel him to, I think, a, a more heroic status because he has to make do with less. When you, and you but, show that desperation, like, you know, his uniform is falling apart, like, you know, his, his equipment isn't working right, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, like, show how capable he actually is, just without all the bells and whistles. And that would have helped for, you know, what you're talking about, of having him have to deal with another end of society that he's not used to, mm-hmm. and having him become more, like, oh, this is, like, the plight of, you know, people, you know, in the lower class, like, you know, I need to be, you know, more... You know, uh, you know, representative of them and, and help them with their issues and stuff like that. And, you know, and, and make him be that more social justice, you know, kind of character. Exactly. And, uh, 
you know. So, so yeah, I would have. I, I, I felt very strongly last season that they really dropped the ball on on that one. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Before we move on from Arrow, because we need to get to the Flash and Supergirl, right. I, I do want to talk about Constantine for the briefest of moments because I know you didn't watch Constantine right. on uh, on NBC, which. It, you know, and I understand it. It's it's an unfortunate thing that that show got canceled because there was a whole lot of potential for it, and uh, and of course Goyer has gone and, and been like, well, in hindsight, it wasn't the best choice. Like, really, seriously, yeah, in hindsight, yeah, definitely. Um, but I like Matt Ryan as Constantine. I thought he was a a, a really good version of the character. Um, they just didn't set him up well enough on NBC or market it well enough. I think. Um, so it was it was really like cool that they actually brought the character into into Arrow. The problem is like how they used him was awful. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I got very, I mean, I got a sense for the character obviously from how he was, but he didn't seem all that impressive to me. Um, and he's so know. shoehorned into that episode, uh, right? I mean, the the thing that they brought him in to help with it just seems so effortless to mm-hmm. just you know, oh, I'm gonna get her soul back, and oh, that was really easy, you know. It's <laughs> so terrible. <laughs> like you know, and, and you know, when 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 my big hang up with shows is bringing people back from the death anyway Mm -hmm. i hate that it's one of the reasons why i kind of got frustrated with comics for many many years as i was just sick of the sheer number of characters i like if i'm going to feel anything by a death it has to be permanent yeah to know um, that it's a revolving door and you can bring people back and i get that they poisoned the lazarus pit to try to try to you know fix that being a MacGuffin they could just keep going back to but at the same time the fact that sarah was so dead it wasn't like she had died like yesterday mm-hmm. you know and, and, and we still kept the body fresh and everything we're gonna dump it in it was a rotten corpse yeah a desiccated corpse that was like because <laughs> i'm like you know hey let's like dig up tommy and moira and everyone else and just drop them in the pit too you know it's like no no one ever needs to die on arrow yeah but, it's a free-for-all you can just bring everybody back right. you get a live and you get a live <laughs> Yeah, I mean the whole the whole thing of okay, so he got her soul back, and they did hint that it may not be might not be over, that she might still suffer from the same stuff Bia does. It's mm-hmm. like okay, you know, I mean there might still be some consequence, but at the same time, I still I still you know don't like that. But you know, but then like yeah, so there's this whole thing where like he and Ollie at the end, it's like hey man, we're besties. He's like if we ever need each other, we're gonna be there like that, and it's like by the way, we're facing this mystical guy, Damien Dark. It's like, Constantine's just like, peace out. Yeah. And I'm like, what? what, what, Your skills? (laughs) You actually are more qualified to deal with this guy than Oliver is. (laughs) Right. Like, Like, you might actually have some connections who could help. (laughs) Like, I'm going to be very frustrated if at the end of the season, Constantine comes back. Mm-hmm. And that's the end game with Dark is, is Ollie and Constantine team up because it's like why didn't you do this sooner? Yeah, why wasn't he there? Like, why didn't you just make him a recurring character in the in the you know for the middle part of the season or something like that? Uh, right, because if all you needed was Constantine, you know, like <laughs> it, when he was right there, you should have just been like, hey, hang around for a few weeks. We'll take care of this guy by the mid season finale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or at the very least, like have him like show up every other episode or something. Like maybe he needs to go on a. Rec- 
reconnaissance thing to like recruit some other people to come back for helping with the magic part. And then he comes, you know, he checks in from time to time. And then he comes back towards the very tail end of the season to be like, hey, I rounded up some people for you. Dr. Fates, Donna. Hey, I got, like, there's these endless people that I know who are, like, eternal beings and and whatnot, so they might be able to help out, too. Uh, At least something, like some, because when you introduce a character like Damien Dark who has a magical background, and and the way they approached it, too, because, like, Ollie just suddenly is not surprised by magic. (laughs) Because everything that happened on the island somehow has prepared him for this. Like, that's the part... It's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I get it. You guys have this, like, retroactive thing you can use. But at the same time, it's like, wow, that is just lazy. Like, that is egregious laziness. <laughs> and by the way, one of those tattoos Oliver has is magic also. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's just so, like, the, the storytelling in that episode is so low stakes. It's, it's just like, this was hardly worth my time. Um, just even them, like... It should have been, for all intents and purposes, at least a two-parter. You know, you set up the whole thing with Sarah, and that they have to go in there, but you have to make the actual, like, saving her soul bit, like, count for something. Yeah. Like, that, that you know, if this was, like, a, a Buffy or an Angel episode, that's a two-parter, no questions asked. Like, you need to set this shit up and then make it an earned scenario. Um, because she's just basically bobbing up and down in the water. They're like, oh no, how are we going to get her out of this, uh, you know, simulated Lazarus pit? Constantine's like, I'll fight off this guy for some reason. And then they just get up on top of the pit and then pull the bobbing soul Sarah off of it and done. (laughs) Right, there was not even, like, uh, some sort of metaphorical, like... Uh, uh, you know, like, scenario of, of consequence or anything. There wasn't anything they really had to do that really sort of... You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. normally in a show like this, there would be some sort of a metaphor. Yeah. You know, going on, some sort of a... Either some sort of a logical dilemma or something, or some sort of a moral dilemma that they'd have to overcome as part of... It wouldn't just be, oh, we have to do, like, this fight with this thing mm-hmm. that's there inside of her right now. We have to make her like want... the. And it also has to be something like, does Sarah's soul even want to go back? Like you have to something like that, you know, some something that they would have to convince her that it's that it's the right, you know, that they need her or something, you know, like oh, I've crossed over to the other side already. I don't want to. I don't want to come back. You know. Yeah, or she's trapped herself in this. You know, there's (coughs) there has to be something from Sarah's point of view as well because she's the active. She has to be the active character. Um, in, in order for us to be like, yeah, we want Sarah back. It can't just be like, oh, she's just kind of slightly swimming. Um, <laughs> I think she's treading, but her she's sort of, bo- I don't know what's going on here. It's like, where's the lifeguard? Um, <laughs> but it's just so blah. And it happens in like the last barely 10 minutes. And so like when that happens, like when you get to that point, you're like, you know, for for people like us who are very savvy television viewers, you're just like, well, nothing. What's going to happen here? Like, they've got barely enough time to to get her back. Like, unless this is a two parter, which I already know it isn't. You know, <laughs> like, 
It's, well, of course what's going to happen is she's going to come back and immediately say peace out because I'm in another show. Exactly. <laughs> Which, again, is another, like, okay, we're just going to get into the Flash now. This, this is another Berlanti thing that is so frustrating because in the beginning, in the first episode of The Flash, we have the scenario where uh, Harrison Wells of, of our Earth, or at least, you know, Eobard Thawne, does a confession. He confesses to the death of Nora, of killing Nora uh, Allen, thus freeing Barry's father. And within minutes of being free, <laughs> Henry Allen decides, hey, son, that's great, but I gotta leave. <laughs> it's just like, There's, what? I mean, beyond the surface level of how absurd that is and how much of a kick in the Yeah. That is to Barry, who has spent his entire life <laughs> trying to get his dad out and just wants to spend time with him. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, beyond that, there almost seems to be, and, and, and my wife, uh, Beth, has, has been has been saying this from day one of The Flash, because Henry has been weird from the beginning in the way that he interacts with um, Barry, and, like, my wife's like, he... I, I'm not so sure that he didn't kill her because of the way he acts. <laughs> you because know, he almost acts like I don't deserve to get out of here, Barry. You, you don't realize, you know, I love you and I and I love the fact that you you know you keep coming back for me, you know, and talking with me and everything. But you, you get what I'm saying? Like yeah, he never yeah. says that. He always says how much he appreciates. But the way he acts almost seems like someone who feels like he really deserves what has happened to him. And, it, well, and she's and, like, did we not see the scene correctly, or did Air Barry not see it? And there's something more that happened back. Of course, we went back in time. Mm-hmm. We saw how it really played out. So he obviously didn't do it. But at the same time, it almost feels like this is the actions of somebody who feels guilty and feels like he needs to keep a distance from his son. And I don't get, I don't get that from what we've been shown. It doesn't make any narrative sense. But that's the only way I could even explain that as an action. The, the weird thing is that the, the episode that, you know, when, when Grodd shows up again, which again, yay, Grodd, um, when, when Henry is called back to basically give Barry the pep talk that gets him going again after he's had his, basically his spine uh, severed and then is healed, which, I mean, kudos for them for doing that. The one thing I, I really appreciate about The Flash is that they do, they embrace the Silver Age stuff so much that it, it, it for something that you don't think would work, it works. Like in a show where I never thought Grodd would work as a character, like a, a psychic gorilla, basically, and they made it work not once but twice. <laughs> like, so kudos to them for that. But and I think in that episode when because what I appreciate about John Wesley's ship as well is that he for all the corny dialogue that they give him, he acts the fuck out of it. Like, he does a really good job of making those monologues and pep talks mean something. Like, they actually sound like a father talking to his son. Um, But uh, when he talks about, uh, basically, the shame of being uh, put on trial and accused of murder and then watching everybody turn their back on him, I feel like that is the explanation for how he was acting in season one. Granted, it's a retroactive explanation for it but i think it makes that kind of make more sense because he has made his peace with it basically like he got to the point where he's like look every everyone turned their backs on me except for my son and he he's a child he can't do anything about it uh and so 
I either have to make my peace with this because I'm never getting out of here. Like that, he was resigned to it at that point, you know? So I feel like that's where it made sense. But again, they could have done that in the first season at some point. But again, at the very least, I get John Wesley Shipp acting the crap out of a scene. <laughs> so It's like yeah. Papa Allen always makes me happy. Like when he comes in, it's just like, you're the best. Why aren't you well, here more? The ridiculousness of, oh, I was somewhere without cell phone coverage, yet Iris was able to call you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what, uh, does she have like some super cell phone? <laughs> and then it's like, okay, so you let Iris know where you are so that she can keep tabs on you? And Barry doesn't know what? Yeah, every, everything in terms of how they've handled like what Henry is doing like since he got out of prison is just so, it just show, so reeks of, we either don't know what to do with with Henry, or I don't even think at this point they're setting him up for anything. I think they just didn't know what to do with him other than get him out of prison, because if he's still in there, then, then what? Right, well, I think <clears throat> this is the issue. Mm-hmm. I think originally their idea was, you know, Joe is the, is the father figure in the first season, you know, we'll kill off Joe, mm-hmm. you know, and then the dad will get out of prison to be Mary's, you know, father figure, you know, moving forward. They didn't realize how much everyone would love Joe. It's Jesse L. Martin. How can you not love him? <laughs> <laughs> Joe is such an amazing guy. Because, you know, that's the thing I said from day one of the first season. I'm like, oh, how many episodes until Joe dies? Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, the mentor slash father figure always dies, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know, like, so probably by the you know season finale, Joe will be dead, you know, and and they didn't go for it. And I think they're like, well, two father figures, you know, what do we do with two father figures? Yeah. You know, and I think that's the that's the real crux of the matter is they don't know what to do. And it will feel unearned if now that he's out, one of them has to die right away. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, it, would, it would feel like too much because Barry's got to be at least happy that he succeeded in getting his dad out mm-hmm. for a while. But uh, my, my sort of problem with the pep talk was it's like, Joe has already been such an amazing father. Like, having to bring in the actual father, you know, like, feel... I mean, it's great that he, you know, that John Wesley Shipp can still come back and do this, but I almost feel like you shouldn't need him, because Joe solves all the problems. <laughs> no, and, and I get that, but I think it was... From a from a, a thematic point of view, it worked better with Henry, because after uh, what? <clears throat> sorry, the Flash had basically gotten his ass handed to him with Zoom, and taking him to all those places and showing everyone, "Hey, look what I just did to your freaking hero." It was all about Barry's emotional state in terms of the shame he felt, and so it made more sense for Papa Allen to be there than for Joe, because Joe doesn't have that same situation that he can kind of equate it to. So that's where it works. I understand the whole, you know, like, why is Henry there when Joe is clearly there and offers all the support? But I think from that thematic place, they needed it to be Henry. No, it's a good point. It's a a very good point. I I just, you know, I just, I just, I struggle also with the two dads thing because I'm like... I I want Barry to be in a situation where it's like my two dads. Oh, that'd be I the... thought about it as soon as I said it. <laughs> the greatest spinoff ever, my two dads with the Flash. Oh my god! But um, you know, because I I struggle with that as well because 
I love Joe. I think Joe is, like, one of the greatest characters ever. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that even when Arrow characters guest starred with Quentin Lance, that Joe was just like, hey, you know, you're a bit of an ass. You know? Yeah, exactly. You need to make things up with your daughter. And I'm like, yes, Joe, yes, fix Arrow, too. Yes. Yeah. You're what's right with the world, Joe. <laughs> said that Henry had been in prison for like what 15 years or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like 15 years. So yeah, I mean, Joe Joe's been part of it and, and so I want to because I know Joe better for Barry to have the stronger connection with Joe, but mm-hmm. I also get that there, there there's a there's another I mean, Barry's initial memories and in, in his in his beginning of his life and his biological connection is with his real father. So well, like, and also just the too. the shared like, the you shared, know, yeah. the well the, the shared uh tragedy of of Nora's death as well. I mean, there's there's definitely things that give him the the much stronger connection to his you know his biological father, not just because they're related, but because of what they have suffered as in terms of a trauma. Um, so there's always been. I mean, just even the fact that in the first season they set up that you know Barry's the only one who believed in his dad, and that like that was his whole motivation throughout most of season one was to basically you know bring his fa- you know get justice for his father. Uh, the season two switch out is just kind of like. That just kind of takes everything that Barry worked for and goes like, yeah, we don't know what to do with this storyline anymore. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it was Wells' confession. So yeah. it had nothing to do with any of the work that Barry had been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Now, how do you feel about Wells? I I like this. I like the Earth 2 version of him. Because I think it's a nice way of at least having the Wells figure, but he's clearly not entirely the same guy. Um, I, I kind of like that he's way more of a dick in this one <laughs> because it gives them like, it gives Cisco a really good, like, uh, foil at times. Cause I feel like Cisco has just grown so much more and I just, I love Cisco to death. I think he's just a really great character. Um, especially with all the vibe stuff now that they've, they've gotten through with that. Um, but yeah, uh, the fact that they're kind of going a similar route with him now, as of the mid-season finale, uh, with him being like, I'm going to help Zoom betray the Flash by helping him get faster because that's what Zim- Zoom wants. Like, he wants Barry to be faster so he can suck out all the, you know, marrow of the speed force from him. Uh, so I think it's an interesting way of kind of bringing the betrayal back around again. Like, thematically, I don't know. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Are you? That route with the mid-season finale, I I had hoped I was wrong. This is what I predicted from the beginning: mm-hmm. was that Wells would show up, we wouldn't trust him, mm-hmm. then we would trust him, and then we'd find out we shouldn't have trusted him. <laughs> and I was afraid they were going to go through that cycle, and it is exactly the cycle that they're going through. You know, they I might do a double fake playing. out. I'm sorry, say again. They might do a double fake out when they come back. Uh, and that's what I'm wondering. I mean, that's the only other way this could go is if Wells is promising Zoom something to get his chance at Zoom. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's maybe that is where they're going to go. But I, I, I like you. Like the fact that they went a different way with this Wells, um, 
the the Grodd episode I thought was just perfect. Oh my um, god, yeah. Especially with Cisco trying to get him to be like, <laughs> like you gotta be like creepy, but you love me at the same time. I love that. Like, <laughs> like Cisco, Cisco. <laughs> you are a son. You're like a son to me, and he's like, Ugh. You yeah. know? <laughs> and then like, and then like, well, smiles a little bit, you know, that he creeps Cisco out. You yeah, know? like he takes some kind of joy in being a dick to these people too, like. <laughs> And and it's nice because he is single minded in the in the sense that he wants to save his daughter, um, which gives him a motivation. It's not just, it's not like with Jay Garrick who's just hanging out, like oh, and such a it's yeah. Because at least with Jay, you have another speedster, you know, or former speedster. Because I mean, at some point they got to give it to, back to him. Like that Velocity Six stuff that was developed is gonna come back in some way. If not with Jay, then with Wally because Wally must showed up. For a brief moment, and so there's at least the potential for that Velocity 6 to either be the enhancement that gets Zoom going after Barry, or Jay, or Wally, or something like that. Like, that's gonna... I think think it's how Jesse is gonna get super speed. Oh, that too, yeah, because we have Jesse quick, and then there's rumors of, like, other speedsters maybe showing up. Like, we're we're headed for a speedster, like, mock, you know... Terminal velocity. Exactly. It's like DEFCON 1 with the speedsters showing up. Like, I'm kind of excited to see how they go with this, but at the same time, it's like, can you have too many speedsters? Perhaps yes. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, my... Our friend Sean mm-hmm. is the world's foremost Flash fan, yes. and he's gotten me to read some comics. Um, a lot of them were, were from Mark Wade's run in the 90s. Which is the and, best. <laughs> right, and I mean, Mark Wade is an amazing writer. I love all his work for Marvel that I've read, and you know, I read these Flash issues, and I'm like, yep, Mark Wade's still great. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I, I coined the term that Sean kind of liked, the Team Flash, mm-hmm. because it was all these characters. It was the Wally West Flash. It was Bart Allen, uh, Impulse, mm-hmm. um, Max Mercury, uh, Johnny, and Jesse Quick. Yep. You know, so you had like five, six speedsters, uh, you know, running around, you know, doing stuff. And I felt like if used properly, you couldn't have them all on the show all the time. But well, in the flash, like a certain storyline, just to have a bunch of speedsters could be could could work. Yeah. But my the big thing that annoys me is my favorite of those characters is Max Mercury. He's the only one that there have been no rumors. <laughs> I've mastered the speed force. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, yeah, especially in the comics, like, the, the Flash family and the Bat family are the two, like, really big, like, legacy uh, families of the DC universe. I mean, you can throw the Superman family in a little bit, but it's mostly the Flash and the Batman, uh, Bat family, have had that kind of sense of, like, okay, we have the older mentor, we have the younger ones, we have, like, the middle of the road. So I like that aspect, but they haven't been doing that as well because you have jay garrick and you're wasting him by him showing up he doesn't have his speed um and then he's just kind of doling out advice here and there and then he just kind of disappears kind of like henry allen does i really hate the fact that jay as a scientist is being portrayed as this almost bloodite the speed force is this magical thing you know like Mm -hmm. how dare you tamper with it with your science wells you know (laughs) it's this holy mystical force that you know we can't tamper with and i'm like what kind of scientist are you jay yeah you know i mean like this is kind of ridiculous like yeah he should be you know trying to figure out a way to make you know, bury faster and whatever and do whatever. Now, if, if J 
Jay's issue had been Wells cuts corners and doesn't do good science, and he's kind of hinted at that, but he's never really like given any kind of evidence of you know Wells doesn't do good science, and I'm afraid that this thing is just an experiment that you know he doesn't really know what it's going to do; it'll do more harm than good. That's a better place to come from than the whole the speed force is holy; it's, mm-hmm. it chose me as a mystical you know chosen one. How dare you tamper with that? It's and and like, based I, on the timeline of Earth too, he's only had his powers for like two years. So, how did he get to that point already? I mean, we don't know enough about this version of Jay Garrick to know if, like, is he a spiritual guy? Like, you know, how did he get from, I'm a scientist who, you know, accidentally had this happen because of, like, a hard water experiment, to, hey, guys, this is a religious experience now. I'm a little disappointed that the particle accelerator is the MacGuffin for Earth 2 as well. Mm -hmm. Even though they have revealed that there are other metas that aren't in the central city in Earth 2. Gorilla um, you know, there's hints of Aquaman and, and, and some other things. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of disappointed because I, my, if I had my druthers, we would have had World War II Jay Garrick. Ooh, yeah. We would have had an older man play the part. Mm-hmm. We would have had, and, and, and that would have been great. It would have been the best of both worlds. Is like you could have the 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 Flash series that's like a modern retelling of the Barry Allen storyline, and you could have Earth 2 as the legacy world. Yes. You know, you could have like, oh yeah, we've had, you know, metahumans since World War Two, and, you know, our world has kind of diverged because of that, mm-hmm. and here's one of those superhumans, you know, you know, he comes over, you know, it's Jake, you know, Jay Garrick, and in his world, he's the Flash, mm-hmm. you know, and he's been doing it for a long time, and that would kind of, because they were already basically like laughing at Jay and being like, "Well, Barry's faster than he ever was anyway, and knows more." And then because they've 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 been the Flash for the same amount of time because the particle accelerator apparently happened at the same time in both worlds. Yeah. So it's like so Jay knew like a few tricks he could teach Barry, and that's like it. Yeah, I could teach you how to throw lightning. <laughs> right. Whereas if he had been an older man, it would be like there'd be all kinds of things he could you know continue to teach Barry about what he could do, and and I would have liked that better. And I really want them to both move fast. Yeah, like, that's that's the whole point of having the two Flashes, is that they can work off of each other and save the day, both as the Flash. Right. (laughs) Right, I mean, because that was so cheap. They were like, oh, we're gonna do, like, the Flash of Two Worlds thing from the comics. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, Jay just kind of shows up to distract the one guy. Yeah, and he's just kind of, they're just both, like, casually running over. (laughs) Right, it's like, um, there's something wrong with this scenario. <laughs> like, I almost felt like they should have actually put the comic cover, like, on the screen and then showed the, like, just animated them running towards and then <laughs> fade out to the real people running. Like, yeah, because it just feels like they, um, you know, if they're going to put that much of a, of a dot on it that, you know, they might as well just go whole hog and just make it, this is our cheesy callback to this cover, even though mm-hmm. it has absolutely nothing to do with what we're doing in this episode. Exactly. It, it serves no purpose other than to be like, hey, if you've even looked at this comic cover, this is for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, you just see those, like, the, the potential just being kind of, like, wasted on certain characters and uh, I am glad, though, that they're giving Iris a little bit more to do. Like, she's she's becoming a bit more involved, and that they're also kind of pushing that investigative reporter angle on her as well. Yeah, but the real missed opportunity was that she didn't figure out for herself True. that Barry was the Flash. That was the thing I wanted to happen last season. After the pathological insanity of everyone trying to keep it from her, show her being a reporter and figuring out, oh, 
you know, Barry, you're the Flash, instead of, oh, we'll just tell Iris that Barry is the Flash. Yeah, the the whole scenario of, like, like, while they're trying to keep it from her, there should have just been, like, this other storyline of her figuring it out at the same time, so that the two kind of finally meet when they both confront each other, and it's like, I'm, you're the Flash. <laughs> it's like, like, that should have been how it went. Right, especially with her one co-worker telling her, you know, something's up with Star Labs, and there's all this weird stuff around Harrison Wells. It gave her a reason mm-hmm. to be investigating and to figure it out on her own. And so I, I was really disappointed they didn't go that route. She's a much better character this season, but it's a real shame because Barry has absolutely no chemistry with her, and it's all with Patty. <laughs> I know. I yeah, she's <laughs> a really good character. <laughs> Until the mid-season finale, I thought that she was wonderful. Um, I had a problem with her storyline mm. in the mid-season finale in that not that she really wanted to take down the guy who killed her dad. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yes. And I, I you know, I, I like that that was her storyline. It is a storyline that's normally given to a, a, a guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of nice to have her have that. And, um, but the whole fact that she was willing to, in, A, incapacitate the Flash, mm-hmm. and B, murder a man who was already down in cold blood. It's another thing in the heat of the moment that this guy's, you know, throwing, you know, hailstones at people and whatnot. Yeah. Of it being like, this guy killed my dad, I'm going to shoot him because he's too dangerous. When he's on the floor, powerless, and she's just going to take out her gun and blow his brains out, that is a level of, you know, of, of, of just, you know, moral, that's a moral issue that is so deep that I can't, I don't, you can't just laugh that off later and be like, oh, Barry, i got to tell you about this thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? We go from her being, like, willing to commit cold-blooded murder to just like, oh, well, as long as you talk to me about it, honey, it's okay. Yeah. You know? It's kind of like, this woman needs some help. And, you know? and the whole thing is, like, leading up to him wanting to tell her that he's the Flash because... God knows we need one more person in Central City to know his identity. <laughs> These guys well, are the worst at this. <laughs> well, it's the one thing that uh, Sean always brings up is that the Flash, you know, for a really long time, everyone's known who he is in the comics. And so he's like, he, he's hoping that they get to that point in the show where they're just like, you know, he just doesn't have a secret identity anymore. Everyone yeah. just knows that Barry Allen is the Flash. So we, we might be headed that way very soon. Who knows? I, I did like when Cisco kind of let it drop when, in front of Kendra. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank God, Barry. Like, dude. Like, just that, that line, like, that, that line reading of dude was so good. <laughs> they are really bad at keeping the secret. They are. Uh, uh, but, uh, but otherwise, I love, because, because what, what I've always disliked, and I don't know if you ever saw Stargate Universe. Yeah, I did for a while. But there was that character who was supposed to be the geek identification character. I can't even remember his name. Eli. Eli. Mm-hmm. Who, that is typically what these shows do, is, well, if someone's geeky, then they have to be this really overblown geek mm-hmm. who can't even interact with people in a normal situation without constantly referencing things even after he knows they don't know what he's talking about yeah you know because i can even see like bringing it up and being like oh i'll make a star wars reference because hey we're in space and then if people like stare at you blankly then you move on and be like oh okay you know and then you know from then on this person doesn't know star wars so why would you keep referencing it in front of you, you know what i'm saying yeah exactly and, and if you're trying to make a point or explain something it's just inefficient and the people who write these shows, I think, are like, oh, these guys on their couch, this is what they're, you know, sitting on their couch watching the show, this is what they're like, so I'm going to give them their character. Mm-hmm. And it's such a patronizing portrayal of a geek. Yes. 
you know, because I feel, you know, it's like if this person's supposed to be like smart or whatever, you know, they can be professional too, you know, and I mean like, and so it's like they can be interested in their geeky things, but have it be on their off time, not when they're middle of like life or death situations where they're actually like making things worse by confusing people. It's like, it's, it's a very big bang scenario, like big bang theory uh, thing where it's like, Hey, you're laughing at these guys because they are socially awkward. Uh, And you're just like, but we're not all like that. Like (laughs) some of us are geeks and still capable of talking to other human beings. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I love Patty Mm -hmm. because even, Felicity and Cisco, it's the reason why those two frustrate me, is a lot of it is because they don't have any kind of, you know, they both have issues with that. I mean, they're not as bad as Eli on Stargate Universe yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, but they both have that issue, and I feel like it's kind of like, especially with Cisco, I feel like the, the writers are, are kind of like, they're talking down to me on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, with Patty, it's wonderful, because it's like, she's this professional. Mm-hmm. You know, she is a cop, and so, yeah, she, like, kind of threw out there with Barry one time, you know, like a Monty Python reference, and he got it. Yeah. And then she geeks out a little more with him. But it's like, but it's like not like she tries to geek out with Joe. Yeah. Because she knows Joe's not going to get it. Exactly. Right? So it's like, I like that because she is a, a professional, you know, she is a, a geek, but she's a, she also has this great relationship with Barry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought he was an idiot for not just telling her that something had happened and his eyes were, you know, kind of off that with the date scenario. Oh, but yeah, the yeah. fact that she figured it out, and yeah. it was so cute, like, the back and forth between them. She's like, you, you just know. don't even know, you can't see me right now. He's like, what? <laughs> She's like, you can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> it made her smarter than Iris ever was already. And I still and enjoyed I- the fact that he was trying to use Cisco as, like, his eyes, but then, <laughs> but Barry actually has the ability to flirt, and so, like, he's like, you don't need me. you smooth operator. <laughs> <laughs> that color thanks itself for being on you. <laughs> or whatever it was. <laughs> exactly. But there's, I think that the, you know, for, for whatever the stories are sometimes, I think that the character interactions are what really make these shows sing. Um, because I, I don't have as many problems with Cisco. I, I don't really feel so much I'm being talked down to. I, I just think that he's he's just kind of one of those guys who's going to do that regardless. Like he's just got this like snarky attitude and he's going to be who he is no matter what scenario. (laughs) Like when he's interacting with them, Thea, when he's like speedy, like really like, do you not know what my job is to do? (laughs) She's like, no, I'm going to stick with it. And he's like, okay, whatever. It's not like I, this isn't what I do for a living or whatever. You know, it's, I I like when the, the, they've established the characters in such a way where their voices are so strong now that you just know, you kind of know how, like, Cisco's going to react or how Caitlin's going to react. Actually, the funnier part to me with their interaction was that he started, you know, he started saying he had better hair than Thea did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of true. I do I do admire Cisco's hair. <laughs> it's very nice. But, all right, so, so we brought up the crossover several times now. I, I feel like we need to talk about Savage. Oh, yeah, Vandal. <laughs> So tell me, tell me what your impression of was of, uh, of Vandal Savage. Um, so I don't know. He just kind of, he didn't seem like all that powerful to me. Like he just kind of shows up and it's just, it's really random to me. It just felt so random because at least at the very least they had Kendra there for a couple of episodes before the whole hot girl thing happened, you know, at the very least. With Vandal, it's just kind of like, 
I'm here because the plot demands it, and <laughs> we need to set this whole thing up for Le- you know for Legends of Tomorrow. And this is like I'm gonna start monologuing, and oh, she's she's emerging, and now I'm gonna leave. Like I, it just it felt very typical villain fare. Like not so much that I should really be afraid of this guy. Yeah, I um, I, I was really underwhelmed by him as well. I mean, his greatest claim to fame was with nothing but human level reflexes. He was able to like get the Flash. Yeah, you know, because he threw out where he was going to be instead of where he was. You know, which. <laughs> Very <laughs> space invaders of him. <laughs> right, which is smart. I mean, it's the kind of thing that, you know, like Slade might do or, or something like that. It, so it made him a, a better, like, brawler, you know, fighter kind of character. But at the same time, it's like, I did not feel like this is a guy that justifies a whole series about time travel to take him down. I, I'm not that impressed. Yeah, you know? it's, I, I mean, I more appreciated it for when Malcolm is, like, talking about, like, Malcolm actually, like, sells it pretty well in terms of, like, that's why I'm afraid of him. And then when he picks up his ashes and he's like, you owe me, buddy. Like, <laughs> I like that stuff more than I actually liked the person. <laughs> like, well, and I was also underwhelmed by the hot girl, hot man stuff, too, I have to mm-hmm. say. And it's, it's why I'm a little worried about Legends of Tomorrow, because it's like, Legends of Tomorrow, I'm thinking about, I'm like, the people I like on that are Firestorm, you know, both halves, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and Snart. <laughs> oh my god! the only people I like on that show. Can we, <laughs> can we just talk for a minute about how amazing Wentworth Miller is as Captain Cold? I mean, oh, yeah. I just want to put this out there, that he is by far one of the best villains ever, in the sense that he is both villainous and not so villainous at the same time. I love the scene in the in the first one they had with him this season, where Barry, like, you know, because, like, uh, you know, the, the sister's like, oh, I'm looking for him, and I, I can't find him. Barry finds him, he runs over to him, and he's like, he's like, sorry! He's like, Barry! <laughs> it's like the exact same like tone of voice, you know. He's just like he's not trying to hide or anything in this place. He's just moving around, grabbing stuff, and like. But he whispered because because Barry did that whisper. He whispers back. Exactly. Him. It's so funny. He's so like, and and for for an actor like Wentworth Miller, who you know by all rights was in a lot of shows where he was like so uncharismatic. Like for him to be the most charismatic in this show, especially, like, in the mid-season finale where he just shows up in his apartment and has, like, the little mug and everything <laughs> with the cocoa. You don't have any mushrooms, I checked. Marshmallows. Oh, marshmallows. What is it, mushrooms? Marshmallows. God, that word came out wrong. It's like, cocoa doesn't work unless it has tiny little marshmallows. Like, you don't have any. I checked. Like, it's... It's so ridiculous, but again, it goes back to the whole, like, the rogues gallery of The Flash is much more down-to-earth than Batman's. They're much more like the street-level, blue-collar guys. And and it just works because he honors the agreement that they have, and they find ways to make sure that he doesn't say anything. Like, Weather Wizard breaks him and the trickster out, which, yay, Mark Hamillback is the trickster. Um... And he immediately is like, well, I'm going to bounce. Like, I don't care about this. And it's and it's all under the cover of him just being snart. I mean, he's just being himself. But then he goes and warns Barry about it. And it's just like, this totally works. <laughs> I know, but I have to say I was disappointed. I get that they're setting him up for Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. And they don't want him to do anything too villainous. I wanted to at least see snart as the head of the rogues. Yeah. You know, as the master planner of the rogues one time. I feel like they'll... They might do that eventually. 
Um, but yeah, no, I totally get it. I mean, when him and Heatwave teamed up, it was it was pretty sweet. And then even getting like his sister involved as the Golden Glider and everything. It's like they keep doing this really great job of building up all the rogues. So you just you want that moment where Cold is like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go back on whatever I just said to Barry and, <laughs> and just go for it. Because I heard rumors of Mirror Master showing up, but I don't know if that's still going to happen this season. Um, well, I'm still hoping that we get some more metahumans on Earth-1. Because mm-hmm. it almost feels like the season that they're like, well, there's no more metahumans on Earth-1, so we have to pull them all from Earth-2. Yeah. Like, I would just like, you know, an episode that's just like a season one episode, new metahuman, you know, in town, you know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be Earth-2, because I feel like Earth-2 is kind of getting overused in a way. Yeah. And it feels like it's so much more of an interesting place. It seems like they got way more metahumans. There's a lot more color to it. They have a whole city for intelligent gorillas over there. Oh my god, when I saw Gorilla City, it's like, like, you mean that there's the potential for a gorilla warfare scenario? Like, that makes me so happy. Even if it just doesn't happen, like, anytime soon, the possibility of Gorilla City being, like, a set piece for an episode, or someone from Gorilla City coming over, like, uh, oh god, what's his name? You could have, like, the Ultra Humanites, or Monsieur Mala, or, you know, someone. Like, you know, Tolivar or something like that. <laughs> I-, I really like the gorillas of the DC Universe. <laughs> In case it wasn't really, like, noticeable right now. Um, That that could happen. Like, either them going over to Earth 2 and having, like, a a crossover, or them coming over to Earth 1. At the very least, again, this show has that potential, and that makes me so freaking happy. Oh, no, I get it. And that's the thing. I like it as potential, but I don't want them to do, like, just Earth 2. Yes. For a whole season. It's like, leave some Earth, you know, like, ha- have it be something there's a little bit on Earth 1, a little bit on Earth 2. Let's let's keep it flowing a little bit yeah. more. Because you're also, because, I mean, Flash, you know, I mean, you know, assuming that the Berlantiverse continues to do well and we get, you know, more show, either more shows or the three shows we've got, you know, with Legends of Tomorrow coming, continue, mm-hmm. you know, the Flash is the show that really should be spinning off new metas. Yeah. Because you know, even Oliver last season had to deal with a metahuman in Star City. Mm-hmm. And so it would be nice to see, like, oh, we got some metahumans and maybe they can move, you know, and other characters have to deal with them and stuff like that. So it shouldn't just be this interaction with Earth 2, which is very much rooted in Central City and only because Zoom is sending them over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I just want there to be... Uh, uh, more Earth One develop the the primary universe. More. Yes, well, and it would be kind of cool if like they just like a colony of gorillas just came over and then <laughs> built their own gorilla city in Earth One. Yeah, <laughs> that no, would be I mean, awesome. That would be perfectly fine, and, mm-hmm. and, and it would and it would help to to establish that because that was the one thing when they said they're bringing Grodd and people saw oh there's the cage at Star Labs they're like oh of course because there's no way they could ever do Gorilla City in. <laughs> A TV show, you know, a, you know, a TV show, you mm-hmm. know, would be too ridiculous. And by golly, if they didn't do Gorilla City in a, yeah. <laughs> a TV show. <laughs> like, it, again, like, the, I think that The Flash has done a really good job of earning those ridiculous elements because they actually make them work. Um, it, it, you know, you know stu- some things fall on the wayside, like certain characters and everything, but it just, like, every time that they have, like, a, a scenario where you really just think that that's too Silver Age, it's just not gonna have any, it's not gonna hold any weight in this show, they still find a way to make it, like, 
uh, makes sense, you know? I, I have to say, I was really disappointed by the finale, and it was because of that stupid dimensional magnetism with the bombs. Oh, yeah. I felt that was such a cheesy way out of that situation, which was a good situation. I mean, the whole the whole thing that Trickster had done, I've given this out to, like, 100 random kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you're never going to save them all. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's a really big problem. That's a subdued you, Joker plot. <laughs> right, and, and, well, I mean, Trickster is I know. pretty much I mean, he is the Joker. I, I know, all the way down to Mark Hamilton playing him. <laughs> Just the just the delivery. Tom Cavanaugh is amazing. <laughs> so uh, so that was fun. That was a fun line and everything. But at the same time, it was like the whole thing of oh, we only need to find one bomb, and then we found them. You know, then we can just suck them all through. Yeah, that's that's very much like a Stargate SG one plot. <laughs> it really is. Like it reminds me of like every sci fi show. There's always like, well, we can reverse the magnetism, and then they'll all just come to this place. And it's like, how did what? Like that's not how magnetism works. <laughs> I know it's oh yeah. I was I was like, and if it's that magnetic, it would be pulling all kinds of metal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> it wouldn't just be the bombs. It would be you know cars and crap would be like, flying up. You know? Magnetism, the buzzword of the show. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. The finale for me fell flat because even though we did have that wonderful scene with Snart mm-hmm. and Barry. Just the thing that Wells is, oh, Wells is a shady character again, mm-hmm. and the Patty thing, and then the thing where I felt like they got out of the peril too easily, it was yeah. just kind of like, uh, uh. But that's kind of par for the course with these shows anyway. I mean, they, they, you know, for the most part, like, a lot of these standalone episodes, because, I mean, and you can always view, a, like, a, a finale as kind of a standalone met the mid-season in its own way. They just kind of, like, ah, I just, we got out of the scenario because we did. Because magic! Um... <laughs> Because a wizard did it. <laughs> the, weather wizard. the weather wizard did it. I I still love the. I mean, I, I I wish that Wally had been in it a little bit more. Like we had actually had some kind of an introduction to him before the very end. But just the fact that Wally West has shown up just makes me so happy. <laughs> no, it's cool. I mean, and I and I'm excited to see where they go for it. I do feel like with them saying that Bart's gonna come onto the show as well, I'm kind of wondering, like, how do you get two younger versions? You know what I'm saying? I think two mm-hmm. is too much. The, oh, so they have confirmed that Bart Allen well, is gonna show up? Well, no, I haven't seen a confirmation with casting. I've just, that's in the same article that said that Wally was coming, which we know now is right, mm-hmm. and that said that Jesse was coming, also told me that Bart was going to be coming down, you know, in this season. Oh, okay. And so I'm assuming if they're right about two, they're right about three. Maybe. But I guess that could be wrong. Two out of three but, ain't bad. I mean. Right. <laughs> I, but I think that Bart would be, you know, a bit too much. I mean, not just that, in just sheer number of speedsters, is that would be another younger speedster for Barry to be a mentor to. Yeah. And that seems a bit much. Well, and, and Barry still seems to need mentoring himself. So you can't, like, if you're going to present a scenario where he's he's going to eventually be the mentor to Wally, you know, if, if that's the route they're going to go. Because, I mean, you don't introduce Wally West without the inevitable kind of, like, looming over him. Like, people who are fans of the Flash family know that when Wally West shows up, that means that 
hey, teen sidekick. (laughs) Or, I don't know, is he, like, in his early 20s, or is he supposed to be a teenager? I tried to do the math here, because Sean, again, was like, well, he and Linda are going to hook up, of course. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Because Iris was six Mm -hmm. when her mom left. Yes. I'm guessing Iris is about, you know... 24 right now. Yeah, 24 or 25, something like that. This is like her first real job out of college. Mm-hmm. You know, so 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 she's in that range. Uh, the mom had the kid, you know, after leaving. So let's say Iris was seven when Wally was born. And so that means that Wally's like 17. And so I'm like, they're not going to have Wally and Linda hook up. Which, because Linda's also like 24, 25, and yeah. Wally's like 17, and Sean's telling me, oh no, Iris is probably like 27, 28 or something. I'm like, no. no. I, I don't see that because of the way that she and Barry are both portrayed as like fresh out of college. Yeah, in the first season they were talking about that Barry had this line where he's like, we're, we're, we're young, we're in our early 20s and everything, so they're, they're not that old. I mean, right. yeah, like you said, they're, they're pretty much like just fresh out of college and they're still figuring out their way in the world kind of thing. And then the superhero stuff starts happening. So yeah, Wally can only really be like late teens at this point. Right. So so I am disappointed because I love Linda. Because again, I read the, the, you know, the Mark Wade run, which really like tells, you know, which really makes you feel like Linda and Wally are this perfect couple. Linda and Wally are like the best. I love Linda and Wally as a couple. And then when they have the kids and everything, um, and just that whole, you know, that whole saga and whatnot. But yeah, like when they introduced Linda Park in the Flash Arrow crossover that started the whole Flash going, like when I saw that and I was like, they just put in Wally West's, you know, future wife in this, in Barry's about her age. And it's just like, that just, that kind of pissed me off as a fan of Wally and, and his whole time as the Flash, because Wally's my Flash, you know? So when I saw that, I was like, oh man, like you just took away like the best relationship in the Flash family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 cause I liked Linda, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, and I liked her as a character, but yeah, I mean, now knowing that she and Wally, it's like just impossible. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, I feel like, and again, I feel like, I feel like a lot of times when they adapt these things, they need to put a little more forethought into, yeah. you know, like, hey, if we're going to bring Wally in someday, we probably shouldn't make it Linda. We should make it somebody else or for Barry to date, you know, just to... To, to let things, you know, to let them use Linda later for as a Wally relationship. Or at the very least, if you're going to bring Wally West in and maybe you want to kind of get in, you know, use some of that Linda Wally stuff, maybe Wally's from Earth 2, you know, that you, you could find a way to, you know, age up the character and, and still give him some kind of a backstory where he shows up and, like, maybe in Earth 2, Joe is dead and he only, and he had a son instead of a daughter or something like that. You know, there there are other ways of, of accomplishing that. But, yeah, like, when you've already introduced Linda as a ex-girlfriend now of Barry's, which just in and of itself is weird, and <laughs> and then bring in Wally, who in the comics would have been her future husband, it's just like, oh, this is, now it's weird. <laughs> Unless she goes for younger guys, which, you know. Uh, I guess, but she's still 17. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and even she, when they introduced Linda, she even seemed older than Iris, you know? Like, just her attitude, like, the way she was, just, she seemed like she was a little older than Barry and Iris, which, I could be wrong, she could just be that super confident, so. 
<laughs> well, she definitely had the job longer yeah. than I said, but I suppose that could just be maybe she didn't turn to the paper or whatever. Possibly. <laughs> so, know. yeah, there's, it's just the, the potential of anything with Wally and Linda just doesn't seem to be uh, possible at this point. <laughs> so, yeah. No, like, I know. It's, it's, it's sad there. Um, it's like, boo. <laughs> how did you feel about Kendra as hot? Because I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to put mine out on Front Street. Uh, for me... Again, not having read many DC comics, Hot Girl is the Justice League animated yeah. Hot Girl. That's and always been mine. that's where I know her from, and the character, I feel like Kendra is so wet, and, you know, I mean, not wet in the... Yes. I mean, wet wet in the, the, the you, you say like a novice is wet. Not, yes. Not, yeah. She's I, so anyway. green. You're so green. <laughs> 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 such a wet character, such a green character that mm-hmm. she, um, you, you know, that that it's like she. I was hoping we were going to get her to be more aggressive when she got her memories back, but instead, like Cisco's whole thing of well, you got to be more spiritual because you know you're a girl. So you're be well, and and the whole <laughs> the whole setting her up as a priestess thing. That's I mean that that was the route they went because yeah, like because they went with the um, incarnated uh, hawk people. You know, uh, can you know, that that version of their origin story, because Shaira Hull is a very different character in the sense that she's from the planet Thanagar. So they they took an amalgamation of different versions of the Hawkman Hawk Girl canon and kind of like smashed it all together with Kendra. So they call her Shaira because that was a name of a Hawk Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and and then like had Kendra be the next reincarnation of her, so yeah, it just became like the I think that the hawk, uh, the hawk side of the DC universe is a really weird mire of plots that don't make sense, and then when you try to make them make sense, they make just as little sense. Well, yeah, but but is Hot Girl typically portrayed? I mean, I don't care what her origin is. It's mm-hmm. more of is she typically portrayed as like an aggressive you know, warrior type character, or is she, um, like, like she was on Justice, I mean, regardless whether she's from Thanagar or ancient Egypt, if she's more aggressive, that's, that's what I liked, I liked her being basically this barbarian with wings, mm-hmm. she's a woman, I was like, that's great. And she's got the mace and everything, and, yeah, uh, yeah it, I think because, yeah, Kendra in the Earth 2 comic currently is a, a bit more of an aggressive character, and definitely she, you know, the Shaira Hull uh, version from the cartoons much more aggressive so i mean it really goes back to who the hell's writing her i mean that's that's what it always goes back to but i've only ever seen a more aggressive side of shara um or kendra or whatever so th- this this version of her yeah is a little bit weak sauce <laughs> i have to say that when cisco had his vibe and was like some kind of guy with wings i'm like dude you need your eyes checked yeah <laughs> <laughs> like that's a lady like <laughs> But yeah, when he's just like some hawk man kind of, you know, it's just like, okay, Cisco, I'm, I'm gonna give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Cisco, I think we need to have a little talk. Yeah, here. we need to we need to have a chat in the back, uh, back in the barn. <laughs> like, let's go find this barn that we suddenly have access to. Who's whose farm was that? <laughs> oh, somebody knew somebody. Oh, because uh, I, I was like, is that their their 
house from Ivy Town? Like, no, that's not. They didn't have a farm. <laughs> right, no. Um, no, they said somebody was somebody's friend, and I was trying to remember whose friend it was, but somebody somebody had a friend that was letting them use their house. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. And the whole thing with them and Vandal Savage being in this, you know, immortal love triangle thing mm-hmm. was kind of weird to me, too. Oh, yeah, right? that, that's, yeah, that's old hat from the canon, too. So it was, it's, it was like... They tried to take, again, they tried to take all the elements of their different established canon plot lines, and then was just kind of like, uh, this doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, it, I, I really liked it a lot more when they were just from Thanagar. It was just an yeah. alien world. It just, it simplified things for me. So, yeah. um, okay, so I think we need to get into Supergirl because we're almost at two and a half hours. <laughs> Obviously, we could keep talking about this, but uh, for the debut season of Supergirl, and the debut first half of the season, about eight episodes in, um, I guess, Nathan, what's kind of like your overall impression of it? Um, It's made a lot of inroads, I think, in eight episodes. When it first started, it was a little too cheesy and too, you know, I mean, it was... And I feel bad, because people always are like, Nathan, you're the naysayer. And it's like, everyone on my feed on Facebook was like, this is the best show ever! <laughs> so great! I'm like, look, and, and, and that's the thing, it's like, you know, and I also don't want to be perceived as someone who, you know, isn't positive about the fact that it's great. Supergirl, you know, female-led show. Mm-hmm. You know, fantastic. You know, uh, it certainly started from a better place than a lot of shows. I mean, it's, the pilot was way better than the pilot for Arrow. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I mean, even though definitely two sides of the, the coin as far as darkness and whatnot. Yeah, it's not but, saying a lot, because I, I wasn't, comp- I, I actually like the Arrow um, premiere more than I like the Supergirl one. I feel like the Supergirl one was just really, it, it sloshed around a lot. Like, it just, I, I, I don't think it was, like, the greatest pilot ever. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, th- the thing is, the show, and the show still struggles from... You know, The Flash is an optimistic show. Mm-hmm. Supergirl has taken the optimism and turned it to a big, shiny thing that arrows point at and say, look at me, this is the optimistic show, yay! And it's like <laughs> taking it to a level that I feel like is a little too much. And even one of my friends who, who she does reviews for uh, a website, um, every episode that comes out, she, she, she writes about it, mm-hmm. and even she's starting to say, you know, you need to give your, your viewers a little more credit. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have Kat take, you know, uh, uh, Kara aside and be like, Kara, we're women. Yeah, you have know? the most literal, like, interpretation <laughs> of feminism ever. <laughs> right, it's like, it's because we're women, we can never, ever be angry, because it would be, you know, and just that whole, you know, that whole thing, and she's like, you know, just having Kat shut Kara down, maybe say something to her, you know, mm-hmm. that's enough, it doesn't need to be, let me take you to the bar, and have this whole heart to heart, or she's like just getting plastered anyway, which which is still fun to watch. Like Callista Flockhart as Cat Grant has gotten, I feel, progressively better over the course yes. of these eight episodes. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. The, the show is definitely getting better. All the elements are getting better to the point where Cat figured it out on her own. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That Kara is Supergirl. Yeah, and using all the things that you know, I shot at the TV screen of you know how stupid are these people and all the <laughs> you know the weird because like the thing where like her arm was broken and then it wasn't mm-hmm. like I was like that is so ridiculous that no one notices thank you, goodness someone did yeah exactly you know? and it's the person that you would want to notice it because it it can't go back to the 
Lois Lane doesn't know that Superman is Clark Kent kind of scenario. Like, I know. My only problem now is we know that Cat worked closely with Lois and Clark at the Daily Planet. It's like, and you never figured out Clark was Superman? It's like, you clearly have the, you know, the skills. Why didn't you put that one together? Well, and then, based on that logic, if she figured it out with Supergirl and she got it out of Supergirl that her cousin is Superman... I mean, you figure you can kind of see where this is going, that Kat's going to be a, a part of this team effort thing in her own way. I mean, she's obviously not the biggest team player, but I, I do, I like the fact that Kat was basically, you know, in her own way, inadvertently giving Kara this advice, that she was the, the mentor, the teacher, in the same way that her sister is on a different level. You know, I, I like that there's this uh, very obvious feminist slant to it because it's, I think it's important at times for young girls to have kind of that show that they can go to. Um, people in the seventies had wonder woman. So, <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, I have a daughter who's eight who loves Supergirl. We mm-hmm. watch it together, you know, every week that it's on and you know, yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, she loves the flash too Good. Um, <laughs> because she loves running and she's all, and I'm hoping Jesse quick will be, you know, a good character. You know, I'm hoping they'll portray her well. So that she'll yeah. like her too. And I'm not saying that girls have to like the show because it's a female superhero, but that at, at the very least we have this, you oh, know, right. Well, I'm saying though, but it is good. It's good to have the positive. Cause that's the thing. I mean, my daughter was, was bullied at school by the boys cause she likes the flash. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, the flash is a boy. You can't like the flash. It's like, and then it's like, you go, like, fuck you little boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I mean, that's the problem is it's like, you know, I mean, it's like she should be allowed to launch the Flash, but it's also nice that she has another female character that's a strong character mm-hmm. that she can, you know, look to and say, you know, like, hey, this is a cool person. I, I like watching her. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I definitely am sensitive to that for that reason as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I do I do think the logic, I've heard people say, oh, that the, 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 in the pilot, the speech that... Uh, of Cat gives to Kara about you know what's wrong with Supergirl is so wonderful and it's so right and I'm like I, I don't buy that like, <laughs> really if they were going to portray Kara as twenty you know in her twenties like they do on this show mm-hmm. it should be Superwoman yeah because I don't call someone a boy when they're in their twenties that would be an insult mm-hmm. if I called someone a boy and it's it's because of the diminutive you're basically saying you you know you are you know you're less than what you are yeah and and if, if they wanted Kara to be like in the in the Superman animated series of Justice League where she's a teenager fine Supergirl mm-hmm. you know that's fine but um, you know the the I, I don't agree with the logic I felt that it was twisted logic yeah um, they could have at least the name. at least with with Kat it, it would also have made more sense if she was just like well from a marketing standpoint that name just works better like right yeah, if we focus grouped it, and uh, yeah, because I, mean, I love that she always refers to it as her creation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> like I what? I'm super. It's like, but yeah, like if it if yeah, I again, it, it goes back to the pilot just being kind of like it's serviceable, but it's not like the best thing ever. It you know they're trying to get that agenda across, and that's great. But yeah, there could have been a better character beat for Cat, where it was just like, no, no, we tried Superwoman, it didn't test well, um, you know, and then just move on from that. You know, there was probably another way you could have shoehorned in some kind of you know why being a girl is awesome, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but either either that or you just don't need need to say that because it shouldn't matter if you're a girl or a boy, you're just awesome no matter what. Well, and 
having a woman who's like looks like she's in her fifties being like, I'm a girl. <laughs> just like, like, okay, no, you're not, honey. I'm sorry. When was the last time someone called you a girl? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if that's what you tell yourself when you look in the mirror. It's not true. Yeah. But I, I did enjoy, like, the, the episodes that were dealing with Kara's anger, like, I appreciated it because that it is about an underlying anger at her mother for sending her away, for the fact that even though she has revealed herself to the world as Supergirl in the sense that, you know, she's another superhero, that her life isn't, like, changed for the better at, at, at that, you know, at, at, that, at the least. Like, that she, as a woman cannot express anger in the same way. And and even when she and James are having that punch fest uh, with the bag and the car, which I love, you know, even that little exchange where he's like, you know, black men can't express their anger either. And it's just that kind of shared, it's not like beating you over the head with it. It's just going like, yeah, there's these huge double standards in the world. And these two people have to deal with that in a very different way. And I really, like, I feel like, and then at the very end of the episode, when she just lets loose on, you know, what I guess they're calling the red tornado. Because <laughs> like, that guy did not look like an android. My problem with that was, as soon as they're like, oh, he's, he's suddenly, like, the villain sentience. It is a, it is a living, thinking being. Yeah. Jared disintegrates him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, so you just committed murder on, like, a new life form. Exactly. <laughs> It would have been fine if it was still like, oh, well, it's just obeying its last set of commands or something like that. Yeah. You know, and then she disintegrates it. But first of all, the fact that Alex can just look at, like, a computer monitor for two seconds and be like, it's achieved sentience. Yeah, you like, know? how do you know that? You're not a computer expert. And then Kara just kills it. I'm like, oh, well, I guess if it did achieve sentience, you're a murderer now, Kara. <laughs> Good job, Supergirl. That. Like, well, I like how they have depowered Mm-hmm. To where they're still extremely ridiculously powerful, but they have limits. Yeah. You know, because I have never seen, short of putting Superman in space and putting him under uh, a red sun, that ever showing Superman able to run out of power. Mm-hmm. But they've shown that Kara can. She can overextend herself to the point where she runs out of power, and it's like, she's got no superpowers for a while. I love that. I love that they've... Um, but they've anticipated the fact that if they're going to do that, that she needs to learn how to fight mm-hmm. and has created the kryptonite room, you know, for her to be able to train herself, which I love. It's the same sort of intelligence that makes me love the Superman animated series so much. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, kryptonite's a problem? Why don't I develop a, red, a lead suit? Yeah. So that I can just, you know, <laughs> I can continue operating, you know, when somebody has kryptonite. So it's not used as a, as a you know, a, a plot every episode of well, the villain. Like, oh. And that training room was always something that I imagined, like, Bruce and Clark having as well. Like, you figure Superman didn't always know how to fight. Like, he was a farm boy. Like, he, it's not like he was going to the gym all the time because he was, like, born stacked. Um, but but it, always, it was always a scenario that I thought that, you know, Bruce being, you know, trained, you know, from the age of nine, basically, would have gone like, look... I know you can punch things really well, but guess what? You've got some weaknesses. Let's try and figure out how, if someone's going to exploit them, you can overcome them. Like, that that always was something that I imagined they went through, and I was so glad that Supergirl did that. It was like, finally, someone has kind of, like, put that out there into the world, where it's like, yes, of course they would do that, because why would a 20-year-old girl with all these powers even think about, like, knowing how to, like, effectively subdue an enemy? 
you know, she she wouldn't have to think about it. She just punches it real good, you know. Yeah, no, and 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 you know, establishing the fact there are aliens with different kinds of powers, and I love the fact that that's the different, you know, like. Arrow's now becoming, like, the magic show, and Flash is, like, the super science show, mm-hmm. and now we've got Supergirl as the extraterrestrial show, and it's kind of nice how they're developing these little niches, mm-hmm. you know, for each of the shows. Um, how did you feel about the, the big reveal uh, of uh, uh, Hank Henshaw? Uh, well, see, here's the thing, and I feel, I, I loved it, but mm-hmm. the thing is, I'm annoyed at all my friends who kept telling me that he was Cyborg Superman. <laughs> and was like that's you know because it's like I wouldn't have known I mean I knew I, I know that there is a cyborg Superman I didn't know that his name was Hank Henshaw mm-hmm. and so it was like oh no he's a cyborg and everything else so I never even like saw it coming at all <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> but it, I love having John on there it's like yes that's awesome like, even but, even for, as someone who knew like the Hank Henshaw character was supposed to be like cyborg Superman they did a great job for a fake out like, because yeah. there's there's so many characters in in any comic book universe who could have red glowy eyes, and and for them to first of all use the name Hank Henshaw, knowing that there are a lot of comic book people who would know that that's you know Cyborg Superman, and then to fake it out with John Jones, you're just like fuck yeah, <laughs> and just his whole reveal, like that speech was really well done, and then just him transforming into like this tall ass alien with kind of the Martian Manhunter uh, uniform, uh, you know, to an extent, I thought it was, like, such a great use of that character. Although I thought it's a bit cheesy that he can't read Kryptonian minds. I'm well, like, I think that's, that's established canon, I think. Is it? Yeah, because I think, I think it's in the... Justice League, he could mentally talk to Superman. Hmm. But, uh... Well, maybe, okay, I'd have to go back to that. I'm, I'm not as well-versed on Martian Manhunter, but I thought that was a thing, but maybe uh, not. Maybe. Maybe it's just in the cartoon they thought it was easier to us not to include that, but... Uh, Probably. But, How but, else but, does he call everyone to him? <laughs> but um, there, there's two things I want to say about all three of these shows. Uh, uh, one of them uh, is... Or is one thing I want to say about all three shows, and the one I want to say specifically about Supergirl. Okay. One is I like that Berlanti... On one level, I like that they're good... You know, his, his team is good at developing characters into teams. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like, The Flash normally doesn't have, like, this whole support group. Yeah. You know, around him. And so that's, you know, that's good. It's, it's, it gives it gives a lot of interaction, you know, whereas the traditional superhero TV show like Lois and Clark. Yeah. You know, the, the superhero is the superhero. No one knows his secret. He's always trying to keep it from everybody. And there's a lot of just situational kind of stuff of the problems he goes through trying to keep it from everybody. So it's nice to have a team that's all in on the secret. Mm-hmm. I do kind of wish that it wouldn't be every show that they do. But at the same time, they do it so well, it's kind of like, oh, you know. I kind of like that there's a whole like team thing going on with Supergirl. I think it's become just kind of the, this is how superheroes are, are, this is like the style of presenting superheroes right now. It's, it's team scenarios because I think that that individual superhero operating as their own person, like, I think that that just kind of stagnates the story because you need like a variety of characters who aren't just like villains of the week. You need a supporting cast who can also like, we could maybe have a story that's more devoted to Cisco today or to, you know, um, Felicity if we need to. Like, I think that just gives them a bigger uh, pool to, to choose from. Yeah, but at the same time, I think about how comics survived on that, you know, and, and the comic and TV medium 
are so close. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like movies are more like novels. Yeah. You know, I feel like comics and TV are, are very close medium. Uh, and, and it just seems strange to me that it, it works for comics, but not for not for TV. I feel like there's still like a way of presenting that correctly well, comics, in a way that doesn't stagnate. Comics have the benefit of the interior monologue as well. So we we can at least we, what we're doing in comics much more is getting inside the head of that individual, whereas you can't do that on a television show without there being a constant narration, and that's just going to get fucking annoying. <laughs> that would be there the are shows that have done that exactly, and they don't necessarily work out well. <laughs> it's like this isn't Kevin, uh, you know, this isn't the Wonder Years where we just have kind of a wrap up. <laughs> No, it's just Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern just shows up as the voice on all the shows. <laughs> Even in Kara's head, it's still Daniel Stern. Oh, oh, I do have to say, like, when, when Kat did the reveal that she knows who Kara is, and my comment was, well, I guess, I guess Supergirl has to learn how to do the kiss of forgetfulness. <laughs> fanfic for everything. Oh, I know, but, uh, yeah, that's the, <laughs> you know, because that was the trope in the Christopher Reeve Superman. So, mm-hmm. Oh, Lois, you figured it out here, smooch. Yep. It's <laughs> just so good that it's like, oh, I don't remember anything that's happened for days. Yeah, she just goes up, she's like, just gives her a nice little kiss on the forehead and like, boop. <laughs> you well, know. That's not what I was imagining. But. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's because my mind doesn't go to the dirty places. Shame for shame, Nathan. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the the other thing that I really like about Supergirl is that they have gone for you know we're not going to ramp this show up at all. It's like episode two, you know, we're dealing with Kryptonians. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's it's in your face. It's this is going to be super powered fighting. You know, the Flash took things up a notch as far as superheroic stuff on TV. Supergirl's just kind of like. Cranked it up to 11. Yeah. With well, the level of stuff that they're just going for and being like, we're going to show true super battles. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Well, just even the, um, what is it, when they show Gem, son of Saturn, and they just they just put him in there and they're like, yep, Gem, son of Saturn, we're going with it. Do you, <laughs> are you on board? We don't care. <laughs> I keep hoping that Lobo is one of the, uh, oh my God. the Oz prisoners because with, with, with Supergirl being this hopeful, optimistic show, mm-hmm. Lobo could easily fall into this as just being this wacky, crazy alien, you know, Do, and, and, and he has more to like be, the Superman animated version of Lobo. And he has to be like full-blown 80s, kind of. That would just yeah. be so cool if he just comes and was like, Keezy. <laughs> like, and totally like misogynistic, you know, like, oh. hey, baby, you know, like totally coming on to where everything, just make him that guy. <laughs> Just make, yeah, make him that kind of like anti anti hero, like recurring kind of person that could just keep coming back and just annoying the shit out of her. I know. I think it, I think this would work so well. I agree with you, and we should write fan fiction right now. <laughs> I'm hoping the show writers are smart enough to think of this. Yeah, be like, uh, guys, Lobo, come on! It practically writes itself. <laughs> oh man! Uh, now, how do you feel about the fact that? separate love triangles going on that are intersected are we talking with supergirl 
Yeah, with Supergirl. Um, it's, I mean, yeah. The, <laughs> the thing is, like, Wynn just doesn't do it for me. I don't feel like he's a contender in this. Well, well, that's the, yeah. So we got the love triangle of Supergirl, Jimmy, and Wynn, and then we got the separate love triangle, with which also intersects Kara mm-hmm. and Jimmy, of Jimmy, uh, Kara, and Lucy. Yeah, and so I, I like don't even think it's love. a, it does, it's not even really a Supergirl, so it's just Kara, Wynn, Jimmy, Kara, Jimmy, uh, Lucy. <laughs> like, right. um, because, of course, with Jimmy and Kara, you want, you, there's, they're kind of the one everyone's going to be really rooting for just because of how I feel like the two actors have the best chemistry, you know? Um, I, I forget what it was like McCod. Was it Brooks? Is his name? Uh, I'm not as good with names of people. Okay. I'm just going to say the guy who plays Jimmy Olsen or James Olsen, he's not only charismatic and charming, but he's pretty. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Where, well, and I agree with you about that. He's charismatic and everything. I come at this as the standpoint of, and I agree though that Wynn doesn't even look like a contender for this. But I, I am disappointed in the showrunners mm-hmm. for going with, well, she has to fall for a big strapping, you know, man. Yeah. You know, I would have liked if they're like, you know, like, hey, because I mean, this show is already about, you know, hey. You know, we're, 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 we're challenging, you know, the concept, you know, the, there's the gender conceptions and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, where we're challenging that. And it's like, you know, why can't she, you know, why couldn't Jimmy have been, you know, a, a, a shorter guy or something? You know, because, like, I'm used to Jimmy being portrayed as always this sort of shorter guy, mm-hmm. kind of a bit of a loser, you know, anyway. Yeah. And so I would have liked better if they had picked someone more like Wynn. Um, not necessarily, you know, you know, racially, but just like that body type. Yeah, no, um, he's he's like not the as guy that she clicks with, mm-hmm. and just so it isn't like, well, you know, it has to be the big strapping hunk of man that she that she goes for. But <laughs> yeah, it, it could it could have very well been you swapped the type of person. Like Wynn could have been the more muscular one, kind of the more jockish one, but still kind of has a soft spot for Kara. And then Jimmy ended up being the kind of scrawnier, you know, little, you know, even though he knows Superman and everything, he's not all the time, like, super confident about everything that he does. You know, there, there could have been a, a, a place for doing that and really kind of gone against the convention of, like, well, of course she's going to fall for Jimmy, you know. Right, because, right, I, mean, I mean, they've already mentioned many times that everyone finds him attractive and everything else, so mm-hmm. it's like, although I love Kat's comment about Wynn, that attractive little hobbit. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. Again, Cat has, like, the best lines, like, when she uh, when she goes up against Livewire. It's like, you know, the, that's all the intelligence of a YouTube comment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was disappointed in Livewire herself. Though. I was, too, yeah. It didn't... I, I felt- I felt as a shock jock, she didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then as a credible threat to Kara, she didn't work either. And that was, you know. Yeah, she uh, didn't have the same punch as Lori Petty in the uh, in the animated show. <sighs> she was so good. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but the Boy Scout brought protection. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it almost would have worked if you just brought Lori Petty in. Had, I know. Like, she... She, at her, I mean, I mean, she's she's an older woman, obviously, but she could have still been a shock jock and then gotten the live wire powers. Like, why not? 
Yeah. No, I, I still would have worked. Um, and then it also would have kind of presented an interesting dynamic with Kat because you've got two women who are about the same age who are both like would be considered, um, you know, f- you know uh, because of the double standard on women, like they would be pushed out in this in, in their industries, like respectively. Like that totally could have worked. But what do I know? I'm just a person who read the comics and watched the cartoons and thinks. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so we're almost at three hours here. <laughs> so, Nathan, I think we need to wrap it up a little bit. <laughs> this might be the contender for the longest episode, so... Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, um, well, I, I feel proud of yes. that title. <laughs> Look, you've come back enough times, and we obviously can talk about this, you know, for days, so... Um, but uh, do, is there anything you want to say, like, just to wrap it up, or anything you feel like we missed that you really wanted to kind of get out there? Um, uh, let's see, about Supergirl, um, I think I, I think I said everything that I want to, I want to say there, other than that, I mean, we already talked about the pilot, it was kind of cheesy, but I think the yeah. thing I was going to mention was that the, uh, the whole back and forth over, you know, uh, Alex wants her, doesn't want her to be a superhero, and Karen wants to, and then mm-hmm. Karen doesn't want to, and Alex wants her to. That was, like, two episodes, guys. Yeah. I know you don't want it to drag, but that could have been two episodes. That's a whole emotional arc that had to be covered in a lot more time. <laughs> that got resolved real quick. But uh, I'm really on board for this finale. Um, you know, I, I hate the fact that they left it where they did, like, mid-fight. Mm-hmm. But the, that last few minutes of that show, watching the... Um, they call the DOT. Yeah. Uh, department. No, that's not it. That's the Department of Transportation. I don't oh, know, like, yeah. Like the, the DEO. The DEO. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, showing you know how they try to be effective, even letting Maxwell Lord have like his weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, work. You know, and just showing like what could you know what could this be like? You know, but clearly seeing them decimated by these Kryptonians, and then having Kara show up, I was like, yeah, that's. And even having John, I'm not human. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then just the rumors that white Martians are going to show up as well. It's just like, yes! But I want him to have a scene where he's eating Oreos. That needs to happen. <laughs> That's a thing! That's John's thing! <laughs> he's a big fan of Oreos. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so so I feel like all these shows are doing well. Mm-hmm. I feel like Flash has hit the sophomore slump. Mm. Um, which isn't a horrible drop yeah. from the last season, but I feel like I was more gung ho for last season than I was for. I mean, there are certain things like uh, uh, King Shark. Oh my god, yeah, that's right. That was so amazing to just see. And they could have you know, easily just kept it in the rumor thing, like they just like just kept bringing it up. But for him to, for them to just show King Shark at the very end of that episode, you're like, oh, what am I watching right now? I like that they're ratcheting the reality up, you know, on The Flash, but mm-hmm. I feel like they're losing track of the human story. Yeah, I agree um, with you. You know, the Zoom the zoom fight, oh my god, the Zoom fight also, mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. I mean, and, and just Barry trying to think really hard of like, well, how do we even this up? Well, if we're both falling, there's nothing you can really do, you know, stuff like that. I just liked it. I liked the thought that went behind it, just showing how much clearer, faster... Mm-hmm. You know, Zoom is than him. Uh, just but... showing, like, Barry's intelligence overall in the field like that. Like, it's, it's not just relying on Cisco and Caitlin to give him what he needs. It's like, he's actually a scientist, guys. <laughs> like... uh-huh. So so I like that. Um, I feel like I feel like Arrow's doing better than last year. 
Mm-hmm. I think that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing way better than last year, and Gotham's doing way better than last year. So, I mean, all the shows, I think, are in a good place. I'm watching all five of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited for all five. I mean, Gotham less so, but... Yeah. <laughs> like I say, it's, it's, it's digging its fingernails in, and I'm... I'm someone that if I'm already watching something, I'm more inclined to keep watching it than if I just, you know, than for for you somebody convince me after it's already been on to go watch something. That's the problem is Gotham is a show that it's already in there. And so just by momentum, because I'm a completionist, you know, I like to, you know, I'm like, well, if they cancel it this season, that sort of ends my obligation. But but, but it's not that bad. I mean, I don't feel like anymore. Season one, I finished out of obligation. I don't feel like I'm watching it at a total obligation now. Although I worry that the pregnancy subplot is going to go in a horrible direction. Mm-hmm. And, and that I'm very leery of. There but, we go. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I uh, I agree with you. I mean, other than the two shows I'm I'm currently not watching, <laughs> um, which you know you never know I might get back into them. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel like the Berlanti Guggenheim shows are are doing really solidly. Like I agree that you know se- you know season two of Flash is getting a little shaky, but I feel like it's on better footing than like Arrow season two was. <laughs> Really? You didn't like Arrow Season 2? Oh, no, no, sorry. Sorry, no, no, not Season 2. That's Slayed. Season 3, sorry. Oh, okay. Because I was about to say, I thought Arrow Season 2 was the best season they yeah. did. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> like, I, after a while, you just start getting, like, things mixed up in your head. Like, <laughs> who's what? Where's when? Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's at least stronger than, like, Arrow's worst season. So... Uh, for whatever that's worth, I... I, I oh, oh, I completely agree, but I'm just saying, I I feel like at this point in season one, I mean, this point in season one of Flash, we had had the awesome reverse Flash mm-hmm. episode, and this one, I mean, I guess they were just going for something lighter, because Arrow had the darker, yeah. you know, finale, but this episode felt so standalone and pointless as a finale for Flash anyway, that mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, eh. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I still, yeah, they're, they're just going to get, I feel like they're going to get better. They're just gonna just like knock it out of the park. You know they're building towards something. So, um, and that's what I think. That's why I love these shows is that for for any of the faults and flaws and everything, it always feels like there's at least like something that they want us to see. Like they're building towards something that's worth like waiting around for. And I'm just curious. You know, I, I, there's a lot of shows that I could be watching, but I don't because I just don't care enough. You know. But these shows I care, <laughs> and I want to watch, and I want them to be good. So as long as they keep me feeling that way and not like, yeah, I could just skip it, um, I, I feel like they're doing their job. So, uh, but yeah, uh, you feel good about this? You good? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, Nathan, thank you for coming back and talking all kinds of superhero television with me. <laughs> thank you for having me. Of course. Um, this... I might actually end up splitting this one into two parts, yeah. depending. Um, uh, but uh, uh, do you have anything coming up in the future that you want to tell people about or just want to, you know, uh, where people can find you? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on my blog at blogger underscore who dot live journal dot com or on Twitter at underscore blogger underscore who. Or um, you can find me, of course, on Sean Castic. Um, we have some uh, episodes coming up. Um, we're right now the the episodes that we're putting out. We have the two part one that we split into two about identity crisis um, <laughs> storyline in uh, DC. Um, 
DC. Yeah, which that's. I it. would love to get Sam's thoughts on, but it's it's going late anyway right now. Mm. But, um, <laughs> when I cut this off, I can tell you. <laughs> right, um, but uh, but uh, coming up, we've got an uh, '80s and '90s uh, movies uh, retrospectives that we're going to record in the new year and uh, and put up. So uh, those Woo-hoo. should be some pretty exciting episodes. And uh, then just the uh, the news of the week that we're doing right now uh, will be going on again starting January. So uh, check out Sean Castic. It's a fun show, uh, and I say that not only because I'm the co-producer. <laughs> I have no stake in this whatsoever. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and I often guest on Sean Castic from time to time, so you might find me there as well. Uh, you can also find me at Darling underscore Sammy. You can go to maniacalgeek.com or on Facebook. It's just Maniacal Geek and That Girl with the Curls. So, uh, And also on iTunes where you can give us lots of stars and say hopefully nice things. Um, perhaps give us your opinion on the TV shows and how you feel they've been going. It's always nice to hear people's uh, opinions on them. Hopefully you're not just trying to yell at us for not having the same opinion as you. So that would be cool. Uh, but uh, on behalf of Maniacal Geek and that girl with the curls, Nathan, thank you once again. And good night, everybody. 